Hello. Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome you to Box's Fiscal Year 24 Financial Analyst Day. I'm Cynthia Hipponia, Box Investor Relations. On behalf of the entire Box team, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, we have a great event planned over the next couple of hours. Aaron is going to kick things off with a look at our vision and strategy going for the future. Diego, our Chief Product Officer, will go over our product strategy and roadmap. We're also pleased to have Manoj, our VP of Security Products, uh, to do a deep dive on our security, compliance, and governance roadmap. Then we'll take a short break. We're delighted to have one of our customers from Warner Music attending today. Stephanie will talk with John on his company's multi-year journey with Box. Stephanie and Mark will then go and cover our go-to-market and sales strategies. Finally, Dylan will be presenting our long-term financial target model, and then we'll open it up for live Q&A. For those of you who are attending via webcast, please feel free to email questions to ir at box.com at any time today. Now, let me remind you that this presentation contains forward-looking statements regarding our future business and financial expectations. There are a number of factors that could cause our actual results to differ materially from our expectations. You should not place undue reliance on forward-looking statements, and we assume no obligation, nor do we tend to update them. We encourage you to review the forward-looking statement disclosures in today's presentation and risk factors in our SEC filings for more information. This presentation also includes non-GAAP financial measures. Unless otherwise indicated, all references we make today to financial measures will be on a non-GAAP basis. You can find additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including reconciliation with comparable GAAP results in the appendix of this presentation, which can be found on our IR website. During today's presentation, we will also be sharing information on new products, features, and functionality that we are planning. This information is intended to outline our general product direction and should not be relied upon in making an investing decision. So with that, I'd like to now introduce our CEO, Aaron Levy. Thank you. Thanks, Cynthia. I uh, hope everybody's doing well today. Appreciate you taking the time uh, to, uh, to join us and learn a bit more about our long-term strategy and what we're building at Box. I'm going to go through um, uh, more than uh, more than anything else, really the big tailwinds uh, that we're riding and our strategy for addressing those tailwinds, and then hand over to Diego to talk about some of the product specifics of what we're going to be investing in to uh, to address this market um, transformation that we're seeing. So, um, so again, I'll go through the corporate strategy, and then we'll go through uh, a few other presentations this uh, this afternoon. Our mission at Box is to power how the world works together, and we're incredibly proud to be able to do this now for over 115,000 customers and nearly 70% of the Fortune 500. And one thing that we get really excited about is uh, just the, the breadth of the customer base. So we get to work with companies of all sizes, small startups that are growing and, and businesses in a variety of new sectors, as well as some of the world's largest enterprises and some of the most important businesses uh, across every range of, uh, of organization and, uh, and industry. We work leading companies uh, like uh, CrowdStrike, uh, so leading technology innovators um, across every sector of technology. Work with leading um, manufacturers, so uh, Honda and other leading automotive companies. We get to work with amazing consumer brands that are inventing new products and, um, and all new services in their markets. Uh, we also work with leading life sciences and healthcare organizations that are on the front lines of amazing medical research that are continuing to save lives and transform the world. And we get to work across the public sector as well, 
uh, really helping customers uh, solve incredibly important missions across uh, defense and, uh, and broadly in the public sector. So when we think about all of the uh, exciting work that we get to work with our customers on, they are transforming the work in their organizations, how they collaborate, how they share, uh, and, uh, and we could not be more excited about our mission going forward to continue to power how the world works together. And what we're going to lay out today is really our long-term strategy for continuing to drive profitable growth at scale uh, as, a, uh, as a software platform. And there's sort of four big uh, uh, components to this strategy. The first is that we're going after what we believe is a very large market, well over $70 billion in global spend on all things that surround content. So we're attacking an incredibly large market with significant tailwinds. We're attacking that market by building the leading content cloud platform that can address the broadest range of use cases for our customers, empowering workflows across the entire enterprise. We're going to drive a continued go-to-market strategy, which is our land and expand strategy, to bring the full platform to our customers, which includes driving increased adoption of our suites across the broader customer base. And then finally, we're going to drive sustained growth and higher operating margins to deliver a rule of 45-plus uh, outcome uh, in our long-term target. And Dylan will go through our financial model uh, in more detail a, a little bit later in the presentation. So th these are the four big messages that we have today uh, to share with investors and, and the broader market around uh, our long-term strategy for driving profitable growth at scale. And so I want to first dive into the mega trends that we're seeing in work. What's shaping work? Where is it going? And how we're going to address our customers' biggest pain points with our platform. So work today is undergoing the most amount of change that really we've ever seen. Uh, it's truly incredible how much is being shaped and being transformed in the workplace today. And I'm going to go through a few major items that we're seeing uh, that will affect the future of work and how our platform relates to that. So the first is that when you look at where work is happening, it's obviously much more hybrid than ever before. 74% of U.S. companies are investing in long-term or permanent hybrid uh, working strategies. And so what's amazing about this for a platform like us is whether work happens in person, uh, at a, uh, inside of an office or at an event, or it works remotely, you need to be able to share information. Uh, and that's obviously going to continue to be the case in a very digital form. And so hybrid work uh, still being this permanent long-term trend is a significant tailwind for uh, continuing to shape how we work in the cloud. The next big trend that we're seeing is that 91% of workers believe that automation and AI can improve how they work. And so it can improve their productivity. They can get information faster. They can automate workflows in their business. We think, we think this is going to be a very significant trend uh, going forward. And we'll, we'll give some brief examples today about the impact that we think AI has on our product and our strategy. 60% of, of executives today say that digital is going to be core uh, to their growth going forward. And so we think this continues to be a mega tailwind for companies moving more to the cloud, moving more to digital-first strategies, replacing retiring legacy IT systems, which, again, is going to be a long-term driver of our growth. We see that 67% of organizations cite an increase in major cybercrime events uh, that are happening inside their organizations. So this is a significant impact on how companies work with their information and how they need to protect their data. And you'll see that as a major part of our strategy. We'll, we'll do a deep dive in security today uh, as well from a product standpoint. 
And when you think about the average cost of a breach being well over $4 million in terms of recovery and all the processes it takes to solve these problems, um, this is a very significant material cost for businesses to make sure that they're protecting their most important assets. Um, and we're seeing that this has an even bigger impact when you even look at things like the market cap impact that can happen when there's a major breach event. We've seen recent examples of this playing out across industries. So when you add all of that up and then you multiply it by the fact that we have more data than ever before, these pose significant challenges and opportunities uh, for our customers, uh, but as well as our platform. There's going to be 175 zettabytes of data uh, by 2025. So information in more places being created faster than ever before. It has to be managed. It has to be secured. It has to be protected. We have to understand what's in this information. And so when you think about these mega trends that IT organizations are facing, every enterprise is focused on a few critical digital imperatives. When we talk to our customers across every industry, whether it's life sciences, financial services, technology, manufacturing, no matter the industry, we see three big trends that they're facing. The first is they have to drive productivity across their business. Especially in this economic environment, enterprises are looking to get the most amount of impact from their talent and, their, and the way that they work with their customers as possible. So that productivity has to exist in a hybrid work environment. It has to exist in the office. It has to work when, when people are remote. And they have to be able to serve their customers in increasingly digital ways to drive that productivity up as well. We're seeing a major trend of companies need to also get fit uh, on the cost side. So how do they move more infrastructure to the cloud? How do they simplify their IT stack? How do they get rid of redundant systems? Then that's going to be a major part of our strategy that you hear from us around how we're going to help our customers simplify their IT environment and optimize their spend in the cloud. And then finally, they have to protect their most important data. And they have to make sure that they remain secure. And with all of this information flowing inside and outside the boundaries of an organization, how do they stay secure? How do they stay safe uh, with, uh, in this new digital world that we're in? And so when we think about these three big trends, we obviously think about them through the lens of content. How do these trends impact the way that companies work with their most important data, which is their business content? If you think about every single department in an organization, every part of a business, um, their content has their content has the most valuable information, the most important intellectual property that an organization works with. In sales, this could be the leading the, the asset that closes a deal. It could be the proposal that brings a prospect on board. It could be um, the critical information that that is the decisive information needed to be able to uh, be able to work with new clients. In marketing, this could be the assets that turn into a new breakthrough campaign. In R&D, it's the timeline and critical project details that deliver an all-new uh, product that a company has to deliver. In legal, it's the critical contracts. It's the patent filings. It's all of that critical information. Inside of HR, it's new employee onboarding. It's resumes. It's performance reviews. All of that content that gets generated. And in operations, it's the supply chain data that moves a business forward. And so when you think about what's actually inside of our content, it's our most important business value. It's the intellectual property that drives businesses forward. And the challenge that enterprises face is that their content is strewn about in a wide number of systems. So we've fragmented content across a large number of applications and platforms. The reason for this makes sense, because over the years, we've had point solutions emerge for each new use case that companies have to do with their content. You have a point solution for document management. You have a point solution for storage infrastructure. You have a point solution for workflow or e-signature. So we have all of these solutions that have fragmented data across the enterprise. 
And this has become a huge problem because with that fragmentation, we can't connect these systems very easily together. And that ultimately means that we have major security risks as well as other challenges that we face. So when you have that data fragmentation, you can't keep track of where information is at any given time. Imagine if the access permissions change in one system, preventing access to that data, but they don't then correspond to another system. All of a sudden, you have, uh, you have, you have this sort of open access to information across different platforms. It also produces major compliance challenges. It means that users can't uh, very easily get to the information that they need to be able to do their job. So it slows productivity and uh, and ultimately um, encumbers uh, workflows inside the enterprise. And then finally, and especially in this economic environment, we know that it increases cost and complexity of an enterprise. And Steph will share a little bit about what we see from our customers around what the totality of these solutions can end up costing um, when you do have this, this set of fragmented solutions in an enterprise. And so these are major challenges that enterprises have to face, and it's exactly what our content cloud is built to solve. So we've been building the leading content cloud. It's one secure platform to power the entire life cycle of content in an organization. And instead of having lots of different points or fragmented solutions, you get a single platform that powers that full life cycle of content, starting whether you're ingesting data into the cloud, protecting it and classifying it, collaborating inside or outside the enterprise. You'll see all new collaboration features that Diego will walk through, driving workflow automation or getting an e-signature, publishing content to teams and departments. Again, another new area of innovation that Diego will share getting content analytics or business insights, or being able to retain data at the end of a process for that final end of the life cycle, uh, whether that's archival um, or compliance reasons that you need to be able to manage that content. And then, of course, our, our platform remains uh, neutral to any application that customers want to be able to work from. So that ability to extend all of those capabilities, as well as your content, into any third-party tool is, again, a fundamental part of our value proposition. So we work with well over 1,500 application partners that, that we can integrate with, and customers build on top of our APIs directly as well. And so with our platform, customers can ultimately solve a wide range of problems, um, including being able to limit or, or, uh, or reduce the size of that IT stack to be able to have a single platform for powering that full content lifecycle. And over the years, as we built up this technology stack, that's allowed us to actually uh, dramatically increase the total addressable market that we're going after. So just a few years ago, we were in the kind of 20s or $30 billion market range in terms of the document management and storage infrastructure that we solve. Fast forward to today, it's well over $70 billion. When you look at the expanded set of uh, security and governance capabilities, workflow solutions, capabilities in the document management space, and the higher value use cases we can now solve on top of our platform that customers consistently implement this for. And now a lot of customers and investors ask us sort of, what are we focused on from an innovation standpoint? How do we make decisions about which parts of this market that we're going to continue to build into? So we have a pretty straightforward framework. It, it consists of sort of the intersection of these three big ideas. The first is, where can Box provide asymmetric value? So it has to be in markets that are content-centric, where the whole value proposition sort of starts or ends really being about content. And so we look at spaces that are very content-focused. We want to go after attractive markets. So these are either small markets today that are rapidly growing. That's something like the visual collaboration space. Or maybe an existing larger market that is very content-centric, like enterprise content management or EE signature, uh, where it's a very large TAM today um, that, uh, that we can go after. And then finally, look for areas where they're ripe for disruption, 
where can we provide a unique value proposition by having a more integrated solution than maybe what the incumbent uh, or alternative vendors offer? And so these are areas where by attaching a new module or a new value proposition on our platform, we can streamline the user experience for customers and we can provide a much more integrated offering for our customers, one that is, um, is obviously going to be much more disruptively priced as well because of our bundling strategy. So we want to live at the intersection of these three uh, components, content-focused, attractive, large or fast-growing markets, and those that are very ripe for disruption. We think this, again, allows us to go over that well over $70 billion market opportunity. And we have consistently been on this path uh, for the past number of years. When we started the company, it was really about how do we power secure storage and sharing for our customers. We then expanded into really going and disrupting the enterprise content management market in the cloud. So we started powering uh, more of that content lifecycle with things like our data governance module. Then we saw the opportunity to help customers with advanced security needs, new workflow capabilities, and much more. And, um, and that was really where we, we dramatically started to expand the, uh, the total breadth of our platform. Fast forward to the past couple of years, this has really been the transformational journey that we've been on, where we've driven uh, new additional products in areas like eSign, going much deeper in workflow, uh, obviously our much more advanced security capabilities, and fundamentally bundling these capabilities together with an integrated suite. And that's obviously driven a substantial amount of our growth over the past few years. It's also allowed us to be much more differentiated from the competition. And going forward, you're going to see this exact same pattern. So we will continue to, over time, as we have more innovation in the platform, we'll make sure that we continue to bundle that into very attractive, easy-to-access um, uh, uh, bundled and, and sweet capabilities for our customers. And as we've driven more innovation uh, and through our packaging as well as through our, our, our product um, uh, innovation, we've been able to both expand the total number of seats and enterprises that we serve as well as drive even more value in the form of price per seat. So we expect that trend will also continue over time. You'll hear from Steph as well as Dylan about how we continue to drive those trends. So on the product front, uh, and the company front, we have sort of three key goals. How do we drive seat growth? So a lot of our innovation is how do we go wider within an organization? How do we make sure we can serve a greater population of end users and business processes? So you'll see a lot of innovation uh, that we drive through that lens. The second is how do we drive a higher price per seat? So this often means going deeper in key verticals. Um, it means uh, tying much closer to critical workflows in the organization, uh, making sure that we integrate more deeply across the various applications that a customer has. Uh, so this lets us add up that, uh, that value over time. And then finally, we want to continue to drive that gross retention and net retention rate that we, we talk a lot about. And so how do we make sure we uh, uh, drive mission-critical uh, business processes for our customers? How do we continue to improve the scalability of the platform? And obviously, and, and Steph will certainly get into this, how do we deliver best-in-class stickiness through our uh, customer relationships and customer success model? So that's what we're going to do on the product front and the overall innovation strategy. That ties directly to what we're doing on the go-to-market front around how do we drive seed growth by going wider in organizations. That's often through our land and expand model as well as um, increasingly even ELAs. How do we drive higher price per seat? That's all about moving customers into these enterprise plus suite. Um, and then ultimately, how do we improve retention? Again, that's greater stickiness, deeper customer relationships, and higher impact value propositions over time. That's all powered by our land, adopt, expand, and retain uh, go-to-market motion. So everything about Box is organized through this lens of how do we land a new customer? How do we make sure they're getting the greatest amount of adoption from our product? 
How do we then ultimately expand their usage um, and then uh, and then ultimately move them into higher tier plans? And then how do we retain them over the long run um, through those sticky use cases and uh, and partnership? And then um, from a product standpoint, the way that we're going to deliver on that key strategy is by doubling down in the three critical pillars that we have been focused on as a company. The first is how do we help our customers protect their most important content? And again, you'll hear all about this innovation today. Uh, so doubling down in areas like security and compliance, uh, as well as a lot of the advanced enterprise capabilities we have. How do we drive productivity across the whole business? This is really through seamless collaboration and workflow. So really, again, doubling down on how do we power how our customers work in this hybrid environment and automate workflows in this business environment. And then finally, how do we simplify their IT stack? How do we make it so they can have a single platform that powers content across the enterprise integrated into all of their applications? So again, that's what you're going to hear from us from an innovation standpoint. We'll be double-clicking on some of the key roadmap items that we have uh, this year and a little bit beyond for our customers. Now, one thing I wanted to briefly touch on, because there's obviously so much attention and excitement around this, is really around where AI will have an impact on our product and our platform. So we've seen some uh, really, really transformational breakthroughs recently. Even this morning, GPT-4 has been announced um, to the outside world. And we're at at the start of a new wave of AI, really driven by these large language models. And the fundamental breakthrough, um, just in the way that we think about it, is these new models have become intelligent and broad enough to solve a general set of use cases. So previously, and we've been building on our box skills architecture for a number of years, Previously, when a customer had a very specific AI problem, we had to go in and either uh, uh, ensure that they worked with a specific AI vendor or they had to train their data set on a general model. Um, but that required a lot of work from customers. They had to go through a very specific bespoke training process for their domain. So legal uh, contracts had to go through a specific set of training, which would be separate from a company that wanted to understand their product data or research reports. And you often had to get even more specialized, so legal documents in the U.K. versus legal documents um, in the U.S., And so what these general models have been able to do is get trained on the entire Internet, essentially anything that they can have access to, and then ultimately build an understanding and a way to synthesize information based on training on on the entire Internet. That allows you to come with problems that, that really was never specifically trained for because it got trained on all general information. And so where uh, is that AI extremely powerful? Well, we've seen some really exciting use cases in search and in chat um, and, uh, and all new models to, uh, to be able to drive communication. But where we get really excited about is, is the impact that AI can have on our content. Because uh, what is inside of content? Well, it's a lot of unstructured data. It's a lot of unstructured language uh, that, uh, that lives inside of our documents. And so we think that AI will have some of the most profound impact on our content. Because really, for the first time ever, we can now treat unstructured language as structured data. So if you just think about like the, the past 30, 40, 50 years of computing, we've had structured data live inside of databases that we can query, that we can automate, that we can, um, uh, that we can uh, uh, pull out information and insights from. We've never really had that for our unstructured data or our business content. And what's amazing is when you think about that profound impact, only about 20% of our data is really the structured data. That's the stuff that is in a database that's queryable and searchable and, and you can run reports on. 80% of our data is actually unstructured. So the majority of the data that an enterprise has is, is all of this unstructured content that today has been largely opaque. It's been stored in lots of different systems. Again, as we talked about before, it's highly fragmented. 
But so for the first time ever with AI, we can actually take that information, we can synthesize it, we can generate new versions of it, we can query content at scale, all, again, without any pre-training or domain-specific training required. Certainly, domain-specific training gets, makes this even more powerful, but it's not as necessary at the start anymore. And so when you think about the kind of use cases, and, and Diego will build on this in a little bit, um, we are really, really excited. We have teams working on a bunch of exploratory areas right now, and so no announcements today, but you'll see uh, more from us throughout this year. Uh, we're really excited about what AI can now do with your content. So imagine in sales, um, it can ultimately deliver the right answer uh, to a question on demand. So if somebody has a, a quick question about pricing or a part of the product, they can get an instant answer from the existing content that they have. In marketing, you can automatically generate new marketing materials, often uh, trained or not even trained on the existing assets of an organization. You can pull out the key insights um, from a product plan that might deliver that, that product even faster um, or be able to pull out customer feedback from a large data set that would help you make product decisions more quickly. In legal, you could pull out risky clauses from a contract just by asking the simple question uh, of your contracts. In, uh, in HR, you can get answers to any question just based on the existing corpus of policy content that a company might have. So imagine an employee just asking a question um, about HR policies and instantly get an answer based on what is inside of documents. Or in operations, you could take invoices or other operational data, extract metadata automatically from that, and then be able to automate workflows uh, driven by whatever was inside of that uh, invoice or, um, or, or any kind of um, uh, you know, mission-critical content that you're working with. And so this ability to extract insights, answer questions, generate new content, uh, we think is going to be incredibly powerful for our customers across every single use case. Now, one thing that we believe makes us very unique in this is there's really two fundamental elements uh, to solve AI in the enterprise. Well, first, you have to have data. And the great thing is we have uh, a lot of content from, um, that our customers manage securely inside a box. So tens of billions of files um, that obviously become accessible only uh, in a safe and secure way uh, where the models do not get trained off a of customer's data. Uh, but, but you have to start with content, which is something that, again, we have. Um, but secondarily, because of how quickly this space is moving, we actually think it becomes really important to have a platform-neutral or Switzerland-based approach to the underlying AI models. And so our ability to take that content the customers are, are working with and connect up to any third-party AI model over time is incredibly important. This was foundational to our box skills strategy, but also will be uh, uh, you know, very, very critical for us over time uh, with these large language models. And so this is sort of illustrative of how we would integrate with the AI space and make different capabilities available to our customers. So we think AI has the opportunity to transform how we work with content. We are at the, the beginning stages uh, of this next wave. So we benefit from many, many years of working in the AI space uh, with Box Shield, which is built on um, a bunch of modern machine learning and AI technologies, as well as Box Skills. But we'll continue to build on this with, again, this latest wave of large language models. So that's a bit about the overall set of tailwinds and how we have structured our strategy to address this market opportunity. I'm now really excited to hand it over to Diego, who's going to talk about what we're building on the product front to be able to go after this full content cloud opportunity. So, Diego, over to you. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Well, welcome, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Delightful to be in New York. I was thinking of the public library that we have next to us and that we have maybe two orders of magnitude or perhaps more within Box than the whole library holds. 
And it's quite awesome to also be in person because we've been doing this remotely for a while. So, um, as you know, I'm Diego Dugatkin. I'm the Chief Product Officer at Box. And I'm here also with Manoj that is going to speak later. Manoj Asnani is the VP of Security, Enterprise Administration, and Compliance because we're going to do a deep dive in security. Um, before I begin, I wanted to tell you first uh, the things I've learned in the last few years here at Box on how Box does product. We've been building product in a way that is very, very close to our customers. We've been basically getting close to what our customers need, the specific demand of a world-class platform that is fully integrated. And to what Aaron mentioned, the integration is not only within the components that we have and the components we keep adding to the portfolio, but also with components that are part of the ecosystem of what our customers use. So you'll see a lot of integrations that we have and a lot of components that are part of what the customers use also reduce friction by being so well integrated with the Box platform. And that's part of what guides our strategy, to continue to make it easy for our customers to adopt Box, but also to continue to use what's most effective for them. And we also work on putting everything into one single license, the use of the suite that actually does not require charging separately for different components, it's another part of the integration that requires a, a planning of the product portfolio. So, so why is the Box Content Cloud so powerful? So first, and before anything else, security. We keep building everything with a security mindset. We want to make sure that because our customers keep facing these unprecedented security and compliance challenges and risks, attacks are on the rise, plus there are new privacy and various compliance obligations that keep increasing, we want to continue to always think security first. That's why we're going to do a deep dive in a moment. Second, our customers need to drive productivity, and we want to help them grow through the, the important use of creative cycles and ideas that come through innovation in business processes that require tools that need to basically empower the teams, local, remote, hybrid, internal to the company, or with collaborators that are partners outside of the company, through the portfolio growth that we are also continuing to invest in terms of engaging these new customer experiences all within the Box platform. They all matter. Finally, today, because of the economic landscape and the uncertainty that we're talking about also mostly every day, we want to keep helping our customers to increase uh, the efficiency, reduce cost, and integrate the implementations in ways that keep security in mind but also are cost effective. So that's part of the, the driving compass for how we build the components of the portfolio. So today I will give you an update on the FY24 roadmap. We're going to basically focus on helping this drive of productivity and simplification of the tech stack. And then Manoj is going to do a specific cover for our security plans and further detail to go deep into that. So that's coming right after I give the, the general initial overview. And um, in terms of the real magic of Box, the the special thing about Box is that we are the only content cloud that powers the full content lifecycle, all of the components that Darren showed earlier, but also for every area of the enterprise. And we do it also in a way that is flexible, that empowers the use of our own tools, and as I mentioned also, the collaboration with other components of the ecosystem that are were tightly integrated. We solve, as Darren mentioned, every area of the, of the enterprise so we can deliver for every department, and that makes us very transversal. We work with about 70% of Enterprise 500. Uh, we, uh, we also work with about uh, 110,000 Enterprise customers. So that volume and the, the variety of use cases keeps driving also the definition of what comes to the portfolio in a way that can help many different markets. But I'm going to tell you about some specifics that help in some different verticals as well. Now, driving directly into the productivity focus with the seamless collaboration and workflow, what I want to show you first 
is the, the product strategy that involves growing product features that add new components to the portfolio to enable customers to do more while maintaining that integration with a simplified stack, but maintaining security first as a primary focus, while also focusing on the fact that digital transformation means that the produced content continues to grow exponentially. And because of that growth, the identification of what is important may leverage AI, may leverage many different components that are coming to the platform, but we want to do it in a way that is fully integrated. Now, content insights, for example, one of the elements we added to the platform is enabling the customer to also see who's using the content. So it's not only about finding it, but also tracking the utilization and the engagement level with the content on the platform as well. So you can see who has engaged with a given content for how long and uh, basically what is resonating in terms of utilization. We're also powering customers to drive digital automation and faster, more convenient customer engagement and agreement flows that achieve basically better business results. Box is also focusing on simple yet feature-rich user experiences with the implementation of Box native products like Notes, Canvas, Content Insights that I just mentioned, Workflows, Box Sign, and also the new upcoming publishing tools that I'll mention in a moment. So let's take a closer look. Last year, we launched Notes 2.0, and this year we're taking that foundation to another level. So we're bringing new interactive feedback elements like polls, improved comments with third replies, annotations. We have Kanban boards, and we also have rich embeds all coming to Notes, extending what we have already have released on Notes 2.0. So this means that customers can collaborate securely in real time, both with their own organizations, with folks that are remote, and also with collaborators that are external to Box. So it's for internal and external collaboration. But in addition to this text-oriented collaboration, we're also launching Box Canvas. That brings working together visually to life into a new level, giving ways for teams to connect and innovate securely, where then this publishing and the ability to, to create in a, in a visual format is uh, getting to a new level. So Canvas would have a new GA coming very soon that will continue to enhance after that with 30 new templates. We are connecting Canvas with our Box mobile app, and we're also adding rich embeds that extend the integration with work management tools like Jira to bring creative collaborative work into one single place. So in addition to these two elements, we have now text-oriented collaboration, we have visual collaboration, we also extend content insights to provide this page-level ability to know who's accessing one component, to get performance information in real time, and uh, imagine, think of, say, that quarterly plan, the sales proposal, marketing materials, company policies, training, and through this approach of using content insights, you can get who has been using what, what captured their attention, who was engaged, and who has been looped in with any part of the content. In addition to these collaboration tools, we also have the ability to extend workflows to a new level as well. We've been enhancing Relay with the ability to drive content-centric workflows with forms and document generation capabilities. For example, you could use forms and Relay to automate partner intakes, and Relay document generation and sign could be used to automate HR approvals or automatically generate POs and so on. Sign is going very fast, so in connection to the, the use of workflow, now with Sign we have our five, top five Sign customers have sent 30,000 documents over the past four weeks. So we keep seeing a very nice ramp of adoption and growth. And in the next year, we're continuing this growth, making Box Sign more compliant. The benefit of applying this investment in these new features is that we keep extending that into some specific industries. For example, the 21 CFR 
part 11 for life sciences is essential to help with uh, the unlocking of clinical trial, onboarding and management, CRO collaboration and new drug applications. In other industries, like uh, specific for the federal government, PIB and CAC uh, for signer authentication is very important. We are adding that as well. We're opening up records and contract management capabilities and interagency collaboration, and we also are adding application processing. So we're extending sign for these more regulated industries to continue to see good adoption there. And um, we're also extending the, and improving on the signing experience. So we keep adding templates, admin management. We have uh, the signing process to power really workflows, and also we continue to expand and improve on box sign reporting to also manage the workflows and uh, get uh, direct tracking on the performance and who's using what as we're sending also documents for signature. So in addition to all of this, we are also extending the platform to provide publishing. So uh, to make sure that you can always find the content you need quickly within Box, we're developing a publishing tool. And this tool is a new way to collect, organize, and publish content in elegant portals. This will make it easier to access, the, to find, and have easy-to-use content playlists Think of Spotify for assets, content, and reports. This is a great addition to the platform, and Box security and compliance continues to apply, so we keep making everything integrated, making the content will only be available to its intended audience by being within Box. In addition to all of this, Aaron has set out the, the specific framework for an investment we are making in AI, and we are not announcing any releases yet, but as you know, AI is now capable of parsing unstructured content. And this is a huge breakthrough because it has been opening many potential use cases. And think about being able to summarize those long documents, tag and classify all of those old files, uh, automatically tailor content and, uh, and the specific uh, content for the, the audience they are intending to. So there are so many possibilities. Now, using our box skills that you might be familiar, that framework we already have been uh, using to experiment with different AI-powered use cases and making sure that our platform can handle AI seamlessly and securely in a compliant way. So that's another differentiator. By bringing everything within the Box platform, the integration of AI would stay within the elements of a secure, compliant, and, and governable platform. As an example, we're using now the LLMs in Box Notes to automate content creation as well as potential use cases that would use AI-powered advanced Q&A documents in Box. So, um, while these are still early explorations, uh, the broader applications are much more expansive. There are many other use cases that you can imagine uh, we are you know, exploring now to uh, you know, launch in the, in the near future. Each one of these transforms how we work in different ways and can have an impact in every one of these different departments that Aaron was referring to earlier, where across the enterprise, you can apply Box to answer a specific question or extract insights from the content itself, automate more efficiently and more automatically, you basically set the automation engines to run, to discover content or to generate content based on existing documents, taking the files you already have or the specific contracts or the specific creative content and create new one from it as well as applying it to security, to identify threats and to prevent them, leveraging AI on our platform. So all of this is in development and we'll keep you posted, but we're super excited about it. Now, um, in addition to what we talked about collaboration and this very exciting uh, set of features that I just mentioned, we're also working on helping our customers simplify their tech stack. Part of the challenges today, not only because of financial pressures, but also to reduce a security profile of a company and to improve on, on productivity, our customers want to keep it as simple as possible and also maintain it flexible. 
So Box maintains the neutrality of working with all of these different products in a very integrated way, not forcing one or the other. Imagine your legal department is receiving a document that was sent through Google Docs but wants to edit and review and work on it using Microsoft Office. And because we integrate with both, you keep the content secure in Box. It's compliant, it's governable, but it can be using different tools that we fully integrate with. Now, similarly, your company might be working you know, using Slack, but then all of a sudden you acquire another company that's using Teams. Well, we integrate with both. So the collaboration and the flexibility of using Box is paramount for the IT departments of our customer base that really enjoys the ability to move, migrate, and merge without the pressure of having to do a cold cut and move to, to a very different environment. So the implementation of the simplification of the IT stack is essential. Now, data is siloed, and that frustrates users sometimes because it's driving costs and introduces the security risks that I mentioned earlier. So IT admins want to make sure that the, the modern workflows allow the use of different tools across the board. Uh, lastly, I would mention that the ability to have automation that can connect all of this through a secure platform is essential for our uh, IT customers as well. Now, um, I mentioned integrations. I think actually we have 1,628, but who's counting, right? So we normally say more than 1,500 integrations provide that choice of uh, integration with any of the, the key players uh, in the ecosystem. But in addition to that, uh, we also have the PIs, which I'll tell you in a second. One or two of the integrations I, I want to, to highlight, first is the integration with Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft is a key tool for many, many companies. We continue to invest in the partnership with Microsoft, ensuring that Box works seamlessly with Microsoft applications. Now, looking at Microsoft Teams, as I mentioned a moment ago, many companies like uh, Owens Corning, NTT, and many others have been requesting the ability to drag and drop files directly into Teams. So now they want to do that and then automatically upload those, basically linked to a folder granting the permissions that uh, we normally set uh, seamlessly within Box. And we also have the ability that we are you know, now launching with customers to save you know, team meetings directly onto Box. So we have this bi-directional implementation with uh, teams that uh, you can take, again, content from Box onto teams or bring what you just created in, in, in a meeting and put it onto Box, being the content layer for, for Microsoft Teams. Um, similarly, we have done an implementation with Microsoft Office that allows you to basically move you know, seamlessly files directly onto Box. Another one that I wanted to highlight, just to mention a couple, is Salesforce, which is a key platform that many of our customers use. And they've grown to basically rely on Box for making the entire you know, implementation where they take Box web applications, uh, application elements available directly in Salesforce, along with the ability to sign documents uh, or even multiple documents directly from Salesforce. So uh, in addition to these two, we have many more enhancements coming for this year, all with the goal of connecting customers with their content across any of these apps, uh, more than 1,500 apps. Um, we want to maintain that in an easy and secure way. And for example, we have heard from customers that are asking for the ability to roll integrations to subsets of users, making it easier for them to enable key groups to leverage the integrations. We have implemented that for BoxSign and Microsoft Office co-authoring. And because it worked so well, now we are extending that across all the portfolio by the end of this year. So in addition to that, I mentioned that uh, it's not only this you know, plethora of, of integration that we have, but there might be a case where a customer wants to develop something themselves or want to uh, get uh, developers from a third party to integrate with Box. For that, our developer platform really brings the power of Box Content Cloud into customers' custom apps, 
where our API-first approach lets customers pick and choose which components of the Box Toolkit uh, for their customer apps uh, for their custom apps can be applied uh, while maintaining the security and compliance requirements and standards. This is really effective for uh, the Box Content Cloud to be extended to custom use cases, and is increasingly popular. Um, in particular, we have now uh, reached about 1.8 trillion API calls a year, and we see that trend continuing to increase very rapidly. So with that, uh, I want to hand this over to Manoj to talk through Box's important security plans and do this uh, dive into what we call our top priority. Manoj. Thanks, Diego. Thanks, Diego. I mean, hey, everyone. My name is Manoj Jasnani. As, as Diego mentioned, I'm the VP of Security Product Management here at Box. Uh, in addition to security, I also manage compliance and governance portfolios. I'll spend a few minutes diving deeper into all the innovation that we are sort of looking to deliver in, in most of these uh, critical areas. But before that, in a quick level set, according to Gartner, the security, compliance, and risk management spending was $169 billion last year and it's predicted to grow at 11% even in a recessionary environment like today. And when speaking to our customers, security is a top concern and the number one reason they buy Box. We provide our customers the solutions and capabilities that span all the critical areas such as securing their content, managing the content through its life cycle, ensuring they meet industry and regulatory compliance, and have the ability to provision, manage, and drive insights from the content in Box. So let's start with security. As we keep a close watch on the security landscape, we're continuing to see customers deal with, obviously, ransomware attacks. They're fighting to hire talent and, and retain that talent. Um, they're looking to plug security holes brought on by human behavior. And they're increasingly relying on automation and analytics and, and, and AI capabilities, while also looking to consolidate myriad of tools that they have in their environments that they've deployed over the, over the years. And to deal with the complexity of the security landscape, it is actually important to break the problem down into manageable chunks. Our customers think about security through the lens of security frameworks, and the NIST cybersecurity framework is the most popular one that, that sort of we come across, which really breaks down security into four critical pillars. And those are like identify, protect, detect, and respond slash recover. And our customers look to address different content security challenges in each of these buckets. For example, they worry about classifying or understanding risk to their content in the first bucket, while they look to remediate from leakage and recover content from ransomware attack in the last bucket. And we at Box are helping them solve these challenges in each of these areas, so much so that the customers are viewing Box as a key security partner. For example, we help them auto-classify content or stop content from accidental or malicious leakage. We also help them contain threats or restore files to a known good state after a ransomware attack. And at the root of it is a trust-based access to the content that's really baked into real-time risk the users or the devices are bringing to their content. And if you were to put a box product lens on it, which you, you know, the products that you're sort of familiar with, this is how box shield smart access, box shield threat protection, the dashboards, and the box core security capabilities help our customers in their security journey. Looking forward, we'll focus on most important areas to drive innovation and outcome for our customers. We'll be going deeper in the classification of content, including classifications that are based not just on keywords, but also on document properties and other heuristics. 
We will help customers discover all the content they have and help them get visibility into how risky it is. We will ensure that endpoint breaches don't lead to content getting compromised. We enable it via capabilities such as watermarking and endpoint DLP. We will deliver further innovation on getting even more effective at malware and ransomware detections. And we will help customers with their recovery workflows in case of content getting compromised or locked by ransomware. We will also deliver even deeper integrations with security workflows with tools like SOAR, also known as Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response. In the next few slides, I'll quickly go through some of the highlights uh, uh, in terms of the roadmap that, that, that we have in plan. For example, we'll help our customers detect ransomware more efficiently and be able to recover from it, recover from it within Shield or provide enhanced anomaly detection capabilities and automatic blocking of unauthorized access to content based on suspicious location or higher device or user risk. Box admins are a critical role within, within the organizations, and we provide enhanced security controls such as MFA and critical actions, blocking unverified domains, et cetera, to, to protect them from bad actors. And extending our document watermarking capabilities to video, which is one of the fastest growing media types within Box. This is also a very high value feature for our media and entertainment customers. Switching gears to content lifecycle management. We help our customers have controls and governance of content through creation, collaboration, and all the way to disposition while maintaining legal hold requirements. We provide capabilities such as policy-based retention management, legal hold creation, disposing of content based on governance requirements and activity insights and reporting. And the box governance roadmap is focused on innovations around disposition and retention of content through co content's lifecycle. Retention and disposition capabilities bake into other key box offerings such as Shield and Sign, which Diego already mentioned, and enabling customers to collect and preserve content for legal and security use cases. And if you were to sort of dive deeper, here are a few examples of how retention policies can be set up based on admin classifications. This allows the ability to choose a shield classification as a retention assignment and can be either definite or indefinite. Another example where box sign will give organizations the ability to retain and dispose of signed documents along with their corresponding batch and sign audit logs based on policies. Lastly, we believe that for our customers to put their most sensitive workflows into box, they fundamentally need to trust us. And we believe the best way to provide that trust is through transparency. That's why we have invested in third-party independent attestations for a wide variety of security, privacy, and compliance certifications. As you can see by, by the numerous certifications on this slide, we do take a comprehensive and proactive approach to compliance, including certifications such as FINRA, PCI DSS, and many other. Privacy continues to be an increasing focus for organizations driven by content explosion and growing regulations to protect private information of the citizens. Gartner estimates that 75% of the world's population will have its personal data covered under privacy regulations, which is why privacy is a big focus for us. In addition to already procured privacy certification, we recently announced that Box has obtained a new privacy certification, ISO 27701, which is an international standard for the collection and protection of personal data. We're also already CPRA compliant, which is a new California privacy regulation ahead of the July 1st deadline. Customers can rest easy knowing that the Box Content Cloud meets privacy information management requirements. As for certifications for the federal vertical, 
In addition to maintaining, maintaining our FedRAMP moderate certification, we will add box canvas to the FedRAMP moderate boundary as well. Our FedRAMP high certification is also currently in the works. Finally, integrations and partnerships continue to be the linchpin of our security and governance strategy. As you can see, we have product integration with most of the well-known products that are critical to our customers' security and governance workflows. These Box Trust partners seamlessly integrate with Box and extend and complement Box native security and governance capabilities. And I think that's it for me, and I hand it back to Diego. Thanks, Manoj. Yep. So this is the last slide I had prepared for you to just recap uh, on all the things that we have covered today. But uh, the portfolio is so exciting. We have so much innovation coming, and we've covered the focus on protecting the content on driving productivity and on simplifying the IT stack for our customers. Yeah, I think we're going to go now to a 10-minute break, and then after that, I think Steph is going to take the podium and take us through our go-to-market motions. So thank you very much. See you in 10.
in a couple of minutes. So we'll let everyone come back from coffee. Okay, I think we are ready to go. Welcome back, everyone. And um, we love this part of the session because we get an opportunity to bring one of our customers on stage and have a conversation with us. And I have the great privilege of having John Steer with us today. He's the Vice President of Service Delivery for Warner Music. And I am going to let John introduce himself. He's been a long-time client of Box, which is wonderful, uh, and has a tremendous amount of experience um, and has watched the platform evolve from the very early days. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, John. Thank you. Um, maybe we'll start by sharing a little bit about the role that you do. Um, yeah, just a little bit about your job. That'd be sure. Uh, so I'm the Vice President of Service Delivery for North and South America for Warner Music Group. Uh, basically, I manage uh, service desk, service operations. We do password resets, desktop support, application access, some application support. Uh, my team is responsible for the global ITSM system, ServiceNow. Uh, we oversee and manage the box environment, uh, Slack. Um, I also uh, oversee M&A. I'm the tech lead for M&A for the Americas, for uh, any mergers and acquisitions that uh, Warner Music does. Um, 
Probably a lot more, but <laughs> we'll probably couple things. a few others. A fun fact, though, maybe the top three favorite artists on the record label. Ah, uh, so some of our biggest artists are, uh, you know, Dua Lipa, Lizzo. Coldplay. Not necessarily my favorite, Coldplay, Ed Sheeran. Fantastic. Some uh, some of the record labels, you know, Atlantic Records, Warner Records, uh, Parlophone, Electra. Without a doubt, we've yep. all got something from one of the, your artists, um, yep. without a doubt. So, so John, tell me a little bit um, about Warner and um, uh, the reason, what were some of the challenges that were facing Warner at the time when they thought about purchasing Box? Sure. So, I mean, so Warner's uh, prime business services, artist services, yep. right, servicing our artists uh, to, to get them out to the public. Um, some of the challenges that we meet is, you know, disparate, less secure uh, platforms, uh, sharing content, uh, obviously sharing media files is big for us. Uh, we're always looking for an enterprise platform that gives us the ability to, to manage our accounts uh, securely, most importantly. Uh, but it's got to be easy to use. Um, our, our business is out in the world in the middle of the night with artists at clubs, bars, the whole music scene, right? Whatever, whatever you see on TV. Um, so they're doing deals at those hours, so things just have to work. It's got to be easy. And so um, one of the <clears throat> primary drivers, it was sort of a great leading from listening to Manoj and some of the updates we're doing on the security roadmap. One of the primary reasons was security at the time. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't here when we bought Box. Uh, I've only been with Warner since 2019. Uh, they purchased uh, Box back in 2012. Okay. Uh, but I've been supporting Box uh, per, uh, previous uh, jobs uh, from 2012 also. Uh, so I know at the time uh, other cloud platforms were not at the enterprise level uh, from when we bought it at previous places. So the enterprise features is really uh, key. And some of the other things that you told me about, some of the use cases that you've started to deploy as part of the rollout, maybe a little bit about what you're doing with Shield? Yeah, so we, we just upgraded to Enterprise Plus, uh, mostly for Shield, also for the increased uh, file storage. Uh, size for each file, uh, but Shield we're, we're working on now. We're deploying uh, uh, data classification labels uh, with the policies backed, uh, exactly what Manaj was talking about before. Mm -hmm. um, the important, like I said, the important thing for us is flexibility, ease of use for the users. Uh, so the, the the Shield and the classifications will allow the content owners to put that extra layer of security on their files when they need it. Um, you know all the all the users are collaborating on files. They have access to share. They have access to get content out to people. Uh, you know, big thing for us is pre-release content, right? Yeah. If we're working with an artist on a new song, uh, very important that that gets controlled. Um, and then once it's out, you know, it can be uncontrolled a little more. So for the people who own the data, you know, those A&R executives, they know what's pre-release. Maybe there's an admin or an intern or something mm -hmm. may have access to something. You want to control that, and they want to control it themselves without having to call IT. And then um, you were mentioning that marketing uses it for just a ton of marketing materials and assets, both pre-launch and then as things go out into the market? Yeah. Yeah, marketing has access to all the things. One of the, one of the big use cases is our, uh, uh, one of the creative service groups for one of the, the major labels. Uh, they've been using Box uh, since its inception at Warner. Um, they have a whole workflow uh, and they basically have a content repository for their for their materials, whether it's uh, you know a label, a uh, sorry, a record label or a, a jacket, a record jacket. Yeah, yeah. sorry, excuse me. Uh, you know, whether it's a poster or, or whatever it might be for for a particular artist, they have it categorized by the artist, uh, and then further down. So the 
the um, content creators upload everything into Box. That's where they store it uh, as part of their workflow. And then the other marketing, the A&R executives, legal, they have access to all the content at an appropriate level, all managed by the, you know, the head of the creative department. And it's being worked on both internally and externally with yep. a ton of vendors out in the marketplace that you're working with. Yeah, and she controls that herself. This way, they don't have to ask for anything. Nothing gets emailed out. They yeah. just they go to the content library, which is in box, uh, and they can get their material. I'm pretty sure that your artists are happy about knowing the level of security that you have in place. Yep. You also mentioned that you were thinking about kicking off a really interesting uh, workflow, Relay workflow. Yeah, we have uh, our content protection group uh, is looking at using Relay. They have a company that scopes the web for uh, anything that might be out there. Uh, if this company picks something up, they need to get it into Warner so they can investigate and get it to the labels to say, hey, is this something to concern about? Is it not? So they'll be uh, building out a, uh, a workflow at Relay to do that. Because it could be any one of our labels that's out in the world, right? We have you know hundreds of record labels, so we've got to get it to the right eyes. And just on that point, there's uh, uh, a fairly significant need to bring content in very quickly as you're doing these mergers and acquisitions. And mm -hmm. I was just reading recently... Um, just the number of labels that you acquire on a pretty steady basis. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, I think you mentioned you were using Box Shuttle. Is that correct? Uh, yes. part of the migration? So we, so we use Box in a couple of capacities for M&As. Uh, we use it to collaborate uh, during the diligence process, yep. uh, just ease of use with external collaboration between you know, our lawyers, their lawyers, the target people to get information back and forth. Uh, we've also used uh, the Box Consulting to help us. Uh, with Box Shuttle, uh, when we acquire a company, their data could be anywhere. It could be on-premise. could be in a cloud somewhere. Yeah. And we use uh, Box Consulting to help us get that data into our Box account, maintaining, you know, whatever security access levels they have. Uh, they help us with training so, the, you know, the new employees can get up to speed on how to use Box if they're not familiar. Fantastic. Yep. So why do you think um, there's been such widespread adoption amongst the end users? We love it. We love the end <coughs> users telling us how much they really value the platform, what do you think has been a primary reason for that? Uh, it's definitely the ease of use. Uh, we like things to be easy like TikTok is what we say uh, in boxes. Uh, you know, you can really have no experience with, with, the, with the platform and you can go in and, and share content. Uh, so that, that's really one of the big, the big drivers is that ease, but also, you know, it's secure and that the security and the level of security can be controlled by the, by the users themselves. And then the adoption has, as you mentioned earlier, enabled you to take advantage of the entire portfolio by upgrading to Enterprise Plus. And so what were the couple of drivers for that? Well, definitely, like we said, Box Shield, uh, and the other one was the increased file size. Um, we have um, one uh, use case uh, is a studios. You know, they're working on editing uh, content, so they have some on-prem high-speed storage because you have to... Uh, in the editing suites, that stuff has to be local, yep. but they'll use Box as a, as a backup. So that larger file size to handle those larger media files uh, really helps. Fantastic. Are there any other use cases that you can think of now that you have access to the entire portfolio? We're definitely, I mean, we're definitely looking at the relay to do that. Uh, down the road, with more with the, uh, the smart tagging. Uh, mm -hmm. around PII data. Yep. This way someone doesn't have to go classify it. We'll use the AI to go uh, identify it and classify it automatically. Uh, that's just stuff you don't want to take human risk with. Yeah, for uh, sure. You'd rather scope it out. Um, Contracts maybe as well, sort of signature contract management. 
Yeah, I'd like to get to use Sign since we own it. We're uh, <laughs> right now using some other products out in the in the business, and it'd be nice to you know you could show to some savings there part and of use that it. Workflow. Yeah, fantastic for sure. Yep. Um, if there's uh, anything that you would like to do more with Box, what would that be? So the, you cover such a broad range of services across the entire organisation. Where do you think you can continue to drive? Uh, we haven't done any integrations yet to, you know, like Microsoft Teams and getting it out there in the front. Uh, I'd like to get that going to make it easier. Um, it's not it's not our centralized repository for internal. It's more, you know, we use it a lot more for the external sharing. Mm -hmm. But that, that'll be a definite benefit because they are working with it internally. Um, definitely more to go on the uh, on the shield. We we'll have to turn on all the monitoring. That'll That'll become big. Uh, integrating that into our security uh, management console to get everything into one uh, one place. Um, you know, we use our uh, our authentication tools to do a lot of the security and authentication monitoring, but adding in Box with the um, the regional uh, logins mm -hmm. and uh, anomalous downloads and stuff will be big uh, to get that into our monitoring so that we can we can capture all that. So that's on our roadmap to get those implemented. Fantastic. And you mentioned that from a service desk perspective, it's been um, relative joy to sort of work with your end users that you don't really have very complicated requests coming in or challenges. Right. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, we did. Uh, I pulled some stats. You know, when I was coming yeah. here, we did 90% of our box tickets are just access requests. That's it. Uh, the other 10% are mostly, you know, login type stuff related to passwords and usernames. Not too much uh, feature functionality issues or anything like that or... Um, I meant data is missing or anything. That's fantastic. So. Did you do um, much enablement to begin with or because of the ease of use and how intuitive the product is that you found that the users sort of within their departments were able to sort of work together pretty quickly? They were able to work pretty quickly. Um, as part of our shield, we're doing a, a training, a global training on mm -hmm. how to use the shield. And just to recap, I think a lot of people, they can get in, they can use it, they can do the basics. Uh, but to show them, to get a training out there, to show them some of the other features, hey, you know, you could really do this, you could really do that, uh, and get people thinking on how to use it more. Fantastic. And um, in terms of integrations, I think you mentioned you're doing some integrations with ServiceNow as well. Yes. Uh, so nothing major, but selfishly to save my team some work, we're, <laughs> we're doing an integration with ServiceNow, uh, basically about on and offboarding users, uh, using the APIs to automatically create and remove accounts. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Quite frankly, it really plays to the um, cutting costs and complexity story that we talk about. Ultimately, we want to do whatever we can to help you optimize your technology stack, remove all the things that are causing you a headache to manage or, or you know, the noise in the system and making it easy for the end user, ultimately knowing that they can use one single platform for all of their needs. So the right. fact that you can very quickly identify how an integration will save you time, money, headaches is exactly what we love to hear from customers. And yeah. um, we mentioned, I was showing John earlier our integration with Slack um, uh, and Salesforce and how we use it internally. And just, it just saves so much time. And I yeah. don't have to think about going everywhere to look for my content because I know it's in, it's in one safe place. So any, anything else you'd like to share about the deployment? Not that it's, I mean, we covered a lot of it. Uh, You're a happy customer. Yeah, yeah we're happy. <laughs> I love it. I mean, just the partnership with, with Box has been great over the years. Whenever yeah. there's a problem, uh, the account team is always there. Um, you know, reporting has uh, been great for when, you know, stuff pops up. You've got to find who, 
who's done what when, uh, whenever there's anything that you can't report on yourself, you know, the box team is there, box support, it's available. Whether well, it's through chat or a dedicated number. Yeah, yeah, to see a lot of the um, uh, reporting that's coming out with the admin console and we're making it as yeah. easy as possible for admins uh, to be able to work and manage the environments, which is fantastic. You've seen, uh, you've been with us for over a decade now um, and so from the very beginnings, you're, you've seen the product roadmap mm -hmm. evolve. Um, if you had, I shouldn't say this because Aaron's listening, if there was one wish list, I'm going to let you throw it out at, at us before you leave. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't think about a wish list. Oh, that's good. Uh, if you don't have one, yeah. Aaron doesn't need any more. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll get back to you on the wish list because okay, i got to think about that one. Oh, uh, but, no, we're happy. It's just, you know, over the last, whatever, 10 years or so, it's uh, Fox listens to what people need. Uh, you know, watermarking was one. I know uh, before I was in uh, music, I was in TV media, yeah. so it was the digital, the watermarking of content I know has been in the works for a while, and it's exciting to see that finally come out. Fantastic. Um, even, you know, the file sizes grow over the years. Mm -hmm. and always in media, the files are always getting bigger, so you guys have been growing with that. That's been great. Um, even the little things are just making what you have better. Uh, upload links. Is something that people use now all the time. It, it used to be you had to cobble together two widgets to make it work, and now it's just right-click, upload link. So it's it's just Voila. enhancing the features that you already have. So just those simple things is what makes it easy to use. Okay, we will continue yeah. to do that. Thank you so much, John. We really appreciate you coming in. in Thanks for having with me. Us. So um, we will let you go, and I will jump into a presentation. Great. Thank you. I'm going to do a swap. Go. I'm going to grab a clicker, John. Perfect. Ooh. Thank you, Josh. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, John. Um, so that was a little bit about what we do with our customers, um, one of uh, 100,000 pluses, as you heard earlier. What I'm going to do and then hand off to Mark is spend a little bit of time on our go-to-market strategy. Uh, many of you have heard it before. Um, we are pretty steadfast about a motion that has worked very successfully for us. We're continuing to constantly sort of iterate, but foundationally it has been the right motion for us now for, for a few years. And so, as you heard from Aaron, we're going to continue to go wider and deeper. Um, and when we say wider, our objective is really to work with as many customers and go across their organisations to go enterprise-wide um, or wall-to-wall. -wall. And go deeper is really spend a lot of time with our customers to understand how they can truly get the most value and return on their investment with Box. And so we spend a lot of time um, understanding their business requirements and thinking about the use cases. Uh, and as you um, heard from John, it's a tremendous example as you find more use cases, the advantage of moving to Enterprise Plus and our all-in plans allows you to really take advantage of everything that's in the platform. And so we're going to continue to drive that motion. We have a huge market opportunity, as you can see, we continue to help customers retire legacy platforms and a mishmash of things, and we can now, as a result of the product investments that we've made in the innovation, we get the opportunity to play in a very broad range of categories. And so we see that there's tremendous scope for us to continue to grow this business across all market segments and, and all industries. And so with that, this is a tiny, tiny sample of some of the clients that we work with. And one of the nice things about us is that we work across all sizes of client, from enterprise down to small business, down to 
very, very small businesses. We cross all the um, major industries, both regulated and non-regulated or unregulated. And we work in, um, well, Mark will speak a little bit more to this, but in the geographies that we choose to work in, the nine primary markets, um, we have a growing install base of customers uh, across the globe. And so we're really committed and focused to ensuring that all of our customers get to take um, advantage of and really leverage the benefit of the entire Box platform. And so you've heard from Aaron, you've heard from me multiple times, those of you who've heard from the very beginning, we have what we like to call our flywheel motion. It's been a very successful part uh, of our strategy here at Box. Um, we refer to it as the flywheel because it's, it's just this customer life cycle that we speak to of landing, adopting, expanding and retaining customers. And the way to think about it, um, landing is either landing a new client or landing another department within an organisation. Adopting is doing everything we can um, internally with our partners to ensure that our customers deploy quickly, um, onboard very quickly and take advantage of the platform. By doing so, we get the opportunity to help them explore more use cases. As we find more use cases, we then get an opportunity to expand them. And so we move them up to a higher plan and they get to take advantage of the products and services within that plan. And then from there, we, we look to go enterprise-wide. They work with their partners externally as well. We get to retain them and sign them for multi-year agreements. And so that has been our motion now successfully for a number of years. And I thought maybe the best way to illustrate that was to share three customer examples. Um, I picked three of my favourite customers who I know very well. The first one is an insurance client. Uh, they've been a client of ours for a, a long time. Actually, all three of these organisations have been a client of ours for between seven and 12 years. Um, this one um, originally, well, we now power all of their um, claims processing and they use us extensively for internal and external collaboration. But interestingly enough, their original use case was really around internal collaboration. There was a particular department that we were able to work in. It was marketing at the time. Um, and so that was our first land. And from there, we uh, helped them onboard very quickly. And as a result of that, you can see that we were able to um, impress upon them the need to really leverage governance. And as a result, we helped them really think about their retention policy through that process, they deployed a lot more seats across the entire organisation. And by the time we got to expanding them, they'd actually gone wall to wall at this point. And they had identified, with the help of our account teams, we had identified that there was an opportunity for us to really help them create this new sort of claims processing workflow, which is what we did, leveraging our platform, Box platform and our APIs, um, working with the partner and ourselves, they were able to really take advantage of the entire platform, continuing to use everything else that was in the first suite that we launched. And then um, we enabled them to take advantage of the entire portfolio and upgraded them to Enterprise Plus and we signed them on a multi-year agreement. And so it's sort of the cycle of life, as I like to call it, within Box. Um, and so it's a really clean way of thinking about land, adopt, expand and retain. The second client is a semiconductor client of ours. Again, they've been a long-standing client. Um, very, very similar. So as you think about it, um, you'll often hear primary use cases initially around security and external collaboration. And once we enable that, we work with the clients very quickly to identify other things that they're doing. In this instance, they have a very, very large workforce. And so they started to use us 
um, from a mobility perspective. And we very quickly went viral across the organisation and we saw um, uh, them go wall to wall and then we started to work with them on a portal. They have hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, partners and vendors that they work with. So we developed a vendor portal with them, um, with uh, one of our partners. They use us extensively for M&A. Um, they have uh, gone all in on all of our security features. Um, and now uh, we have become the content cloud and they have embedded us across the entire business. Again, a fantastic example of that motion. And then the last one is a public sector organisation uh, who I've worked with and Mark has worked with for some time now, uh, a great organisation. They had a very, very specific requirement and you heard Manoj speak to this earlier in terms of the certifications and, uh, that we uh, invest in. And they really um, uh, had a situation where they were dealing with international agencies and so ITAR was critically important and that was our landing uh, use case at the time. From there, we ended up working with Box Consulting and we did a security assessment and they went all in on our security features. Um, and so they ended up expanding across the entire organisation because security, as you can imagine, in, uh, in these industries, uh, this sort of public sector environment is critically important. Um, and so they went uh, wall to wall. And then we continue to develop a number of use cases on top of that. So we expanded and they went from the initial suite upgrade, they added platform because they were doing some development with the third party around an environment portal and then finally we upgraded them to Enterprise Plus and they are wall-to-wall -wall enterprise wide. So, and um, we are the only approved solution uh, to share sensitive information externally so they um, really have emphasised and weighed heavily on security and external collaboration. So pretty sort of simple motion for us um, and it just, it has worked very, very cleanly and Mark will explain some of the work that we're doing to continue to evolve that. And so our, our go-to-market motion is tightly embedded into our business model and really it um, helps us stay very focused on what are the three primary growth drivers and revenue drivers. Aaron already alluded to them, expanding users and use cases, driving higher price tiers and then ultimately improving um, retention with our continued innovation. And so what I thought I would do is pretty quickly just do a little double click on each one of these and then for some of the areas Mark's going to pick up and go a little bit deeper. So let me start with expanding users and use cases by going enterprise wide and driving seed uh, growth. So there are a few ways you can do this. Obviously from a target region growth we're really, really focused on continuing to grow our enterprise and our commercial S&B and mid-market business in the US. Um, we have a great leader that we hired um, a year and a half ago in Europe who's developed a strong team and we're really doubling down on the UKI and Germany um, as two of our primary markets um, in Europe. And then Japan continues to have really strong growth for us and Mark's going to actually do a, a deep dive on that so you can get a bit of an understanding of why we think there's tremendous opportunity um, in Japan. So there's a ton of opportunity for us to land new deals, but actually most importantly to really grow and continue to work with our install base. The second one is high value use cases. Um, and there's lots of ways we get to do, um, work with our clients uh, in this area. So obviously from a horizontal perspective, and you heard from John, there are many, many ways to take advantage of the products and features 
within the plan. And so security is of the utmost importance, so between governance and shield and encryption keys, um, really, really important for us to make sure that they lock down their content and it's highly, highly secure. Um, but then we are seeing an increasing amount of vertical plays that we work with third parties. Mark will talk to a couple of these, but we have partners, SIs, ISVs that we work with on some pretty specialised vertical solutions as well. And so recently we've seen great, great traction in the state and local government marketplace and across all of our industry verticals, um, our three primary ones, the regulated ones, financial services, public sector and life sciences. But m and &E, I think, is probably one of the earliest verticals that we worked in. I think, you know, Aaron sort of loved that space and it was kind of where we, we started our business, I think, in many cases. But there's a huge opportunity for us to continue to work closely with customers on a variety of use cases. And that's what we do with our teams sort of day in, day out and with our partners. Um, and then we really get the opportunity every time that Diego and Minoj and the entire product organisation continue to bring more innovation to market, we get the opportunity to work more closely with our clients. So the introduction, for example, of BoxSign, really, really important, gave us an opportunity to help our customers think about ways to potentially cut their costs, remove some complexity from their workflows and integrate everything on one single secure platform. And so that innovation remains critically important and at the forefront of our discussions with the clients. And then new logo acquisition. So Mark will spend a little bit of time on our partners, but we continue to leverage the ecosystem as much as we can across all of our geographies and markets. Um, but we did a lot of work also. We want customers to have choice. So you should be able to work with us in multiple ways. And we made a significant amount of investments on the digital platform during the pandemic when we all had to kind of shift gears. And as a result, we've really built a very strong engine behind our digital platform and our e-commerce platform, allowing customers to upgrade whenever they need to online as well without necessarily having to work directly with us or indirectly with a partner. So a lot of work being done there um, in this space. So there's some ways that we continue to expand the number of users by leveraging both horizontal and vertical use cases. And you can see by this slide, um, we've really seen tremendous traction in our 100K plus accounts. Um, and we see a lot of opportunity for us just to go wider and deeper as we work with these enterprises across the globe. Um, so more, we will continue to do more on that front. In terms of driving higher price per tiers, um, there are a number of ways that we've been thinking about this as well. And obviously, um, the progression and evolution of our plans from the very first time we launched Suites to where we are today with Enterprise Plus has definitely uh, put us on this incredible trajectory to do more with our customers. And so we've been able to spend a lot more time thinking about how they can leverage each of the products and features in the portfolio. Um, and you just got a sample of that from Diego and Manoj today. Uh, we spend a lot of times, our account teams um, and our partners, so from a coverage perspective, spend a lot of time with, with our customers, helping them understand how to really take advantage of that. We work hard to get them onboarded quickly um, and deployed uh, and adopted more broadly across the organisation. And we work with all the different lines of businesses um, uh, to ensure that they're taking advantage of that. So we've got a lot of opportunities to continue to drive that. We also, as a result of this flywheel motion, um, it enables us to have a really good, clean sort of renewal upsell motion. And again, the introduction of the new plan has allowed us to do that. And so we have an opportunity to 
help customers understand the benefits they can derive from going all in on Box and taking advantage of some of the rich features that are coming to market and upgrading them into the higher plan um, from their current plans. And so we've been able to really think about what does that renewal motion look like. We've been able to move customers much earlier as well so they can take advantage of this and then this continual sort of life cycle that we do. Um, the other area that we've been focused on is really thinking about uh, helping customers sign multi-year agreements to make sure that we give them plenty of runway to take advantage uh, of the broad adoption. From the earlier customer slide, you'll see that once they purchase a plan, we want the opportunity to be able to go really deep and really wide with them. And so we're looking at ensuring that they have ample opportunity to continue to take advantage of it over a multi-year agreement. And then, as I mentioned, our, we've made a lot of investments from a coverage perspective, both from an account team, a customer success perspective, and then even in the digital space. What we want to do is make sure that our customers are aware of all of the rich products and features within their plans, um, that we educate them on them, that we um, onboard them as quickly as possible. And there are lots of ways for us to do that, both directly and indirectly with partners, and then from an online perspective in terms of box education, community, um, the in-app development that we're doing, the in-product development that the product teams are doing, all, the, all of those things allow us to ensure the customers are taking advantage of their investments. And so you'll see um, uh, we launched Suites uh, only a few years ago. It's, it feels funny uh, how time flies. Um, and uh, we've been able to see this steady improvement of price per seat as a result of bringing more rich products and features into the plans. Um, we are less than two years, I think, now in Enterprise Plus and continue to see the price per seat improvements. And we'll continue to do that um, as we bring more products and features to bear um, as we increase our and evolve our plans. And so in terms of our pricing and packaging philosophy, um, someone was asking us about this just recently we were talking about this. I guess there are three things that we consider uh, as we sort of discuss um, what the options look like as we move forward. Um, new product innovation, new features, new um, platform capabilities, uh, definitely one vector that we think about um, is this something that a customer will really value and want. Uh, and so one of the things I love the most is when a client says, I don't know what I do without Box. And, it, it, and they do say it a lot, like, we run our business on Box. Um, and so we really think about new product innovation as a key driver to whether or not we should be introducing another plan and, and what the timing of that looks like. Um, have we reached a critical mass? Um, at which point do we think there's an opportunity for us to add more features and products and move our plan. And then finally, the customer willingness uh, and desire to do this. And we leverage customer advisory boards and product advisory boards a lot. So we get a lot of market um, input in terms of the work that we're doing from a product roadmap perspective. Um, as you can imagine, they always want more uh, from a development perspective. And so as we think about that motion, we think about um, when it's the right time to introduce a new plan. And, and that's what we've done for the last few years, just to give you some context around that. And then finally, improving retention to really just drive broader product adoption and continued innovation. So I like to talk about price to value and, you know, John and I had a conversation last week and it's interesting, at his prior customer and then um, where he worked and then here at Warner, they, um, the value that they get from leveraging Box, um, he said, you can't really put a figure on it, uh, 
because in his mind, their content is now so incredibly secure and that's the business they're in. Like their clients expect them to be incredibly protective of, their, of the information, be it the songs or whatever else it may end up being. And so from a price to value perspective, we obviously want to work closely to ensure we have the most flexible and commercial arrangements with our clients. But quite frankly, we're really focused on ensuring they're getting the best value on their investment. And so we are in the process of constantly asking them about their use cases, but how can we remove some costs from the equation? How can we remove complexity? Um, as you heard, the, just the ability to manage these very large environments when you have thousands and thousands of employees, thinking about how best to optimise the technology stack. And so price value becomes critically important uh, for us and for our clients as we have these conversations. The ecosystem is really important as well, and I'm only going to touch on this because Mark's going to speak a little bit to some of the work that we've been doing. Diego mentioned the integration work. We have you know, over 1,500 partners. We work very closely with you know, a group of them, um, and these integrations are really, really important so that the customer has a seamless experience when working in Box. Um, and so we're seeing, we've always done a lot of work with Microsoft is doing a tremendous amount of work with Salesforce at the moment and lots and lots of examples where customers really want to understand how to leverage the integration or leverage our APIs and develop um, applications uh, as you saw from the three customer examples that I mentioned. And then finally, product innovation. It's really, really at the centre of sort of the world for us and for our customers, constantly asking us what's coming in. As you heard from both Aaron and Diego, a lot of innovation um, in this AI space. We're super excited about it, trying to keep Aaron tempered. Well, tempered on this is very difficult because um, it really is probably... Uh, I've been in this industry for uh, a long time now and it's probably a key milestone in terms of technology innovation. And so we want to be at the forefront of that. Our customers expect that of us as well. Um, we were really ecstatic when we brought Sign to market. We saw a tremendous opportunity as part of the business workflow now in our customers to help them with virtual whiteboarding and Canvas being GA shortly. Um, there's more to come, so we're really excited about that innovation and it's critically important that we bring this to market as quickly as we can. And then finally, I sort of just wanted to illustrate this. This is a slide from actually um, a client that we work with um, and what it's supposed to depict is that very clearly um, the, the technology stacks have gotten bigger and Mark has some stats that he always throws out about just the number of um, products um, and technology, types of technology that a customer needs to manage in their environment. Um, and so what we try to do is help our customers better understand ways in which they could potentially cut some costs, remove some complexity um, and leverage the entire box platform to support them. And so we did this exercise. Um, this is a very large organisation that, as you can see, has a plethora of technologies, both new and, and some legacy uh, technology. And this is a great way to help drive ongoing retention. Um, and so we're continuing to have these conversations with the customers, which enables us to really um, see strong retention overall across the organisation. So that is a brief overview, very brief. Um, Mark and I can spend days talking about this, so being asked to do it in 12 minutes is actually quite difficult. But um, that's a brief overview of our strategy. I'm going to now hand off to Mark, who will go a little deeper into some of these sections, um, and then uh, we'll look forward to taking some questions later. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thanks, Steph. Hi, everyone. I'm Mark Whalen. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at Box, and I'm here to talk to you today about our sales strategy covering some of the same themes that you've heard from Steph. So let's get going. 
so really what we're all about this year is that long-term strategy for profitable growth. And I'm coming up on four years here at Box, and it's just been getting easier and easier each year for us to get the team to effectively sell Box in all markets around the world. And a lot of that is because as the platform has evolved, the messaging and the positioning, but most importantly, the capabilities of the platform have broadened. And that puts us in a position today where we can really go to customers and deliver on three things. We can help you cut costs and complexity, which is great in times like these. While we're doing so, we can help you improve your security posture. That's great in times like these. And while you're at it, you can delight your end users. It almost seems too good to be true that you can cut costs and complexity, improve your security posture, and give your end users a better user experience. So I want to share with you a little bit about how we're bringing that to market and what that strategy looks like. So firstly, uh, we have a broad-based business, and our customer base is highly balanced around the world. We're balanced from a geography standpoint with about two-thirds of our business coming from the U.S. and about a third coming elsewhere. We're not overly concentrated on, in, on any industry. I'll do a double-click on industries but we have a very well-balanced business across industries. You see the larger chunks in that donut chart there are industries where they have a lot of large files of highly sensitive content. So we do very well in financial services and life sciences and public sector. We'll do a little double-click on that. We're very well-balanced from a segment standpoint. We sell from large enterprises to mid-sized enterprises down to small business, and we have a, a frictionless kind of um, online model as well. Uh, and then we're fairly well balanced from a new logo and installed base uh, basis. About 80% of our business comes from our installed base and 20% for new logos. That 80% sort of, it's, a, it's good to keep it at that number when you're in subscription. A lot of your selling happens at the renewal date. So by definition, that installed base number sort of gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and keeping a good chunk coming from new logos creates a good future. So let's take a double-click on, um, on uh, countries that we sell into. So we have a top nine strategy. These are countries where we have boots on the ground. Uh, these are the largest enterprise software markets on earth. We do sell into adjacent countries, and we will suitcase into other markets. But the rest of the world we primarily cover through partners. And the reason why, in a profitable growth strategy, we are intensely focused on these nine countries is because in order for us to deliver on that land, adopt, expand motion, it's not just putting in a seller from my team into that country, but in order for us to make a, a customer successful, we need a salesperson and an SE, we need marketing, we need legal support, we need customer success. It takes really uh, the whole of Box to make our customer successful, and we learn that very clearly. So every time we're tempted to go to a country that's not on this list, it's generally better to double and triple down on those large enterprise software markets like Germany, Austria, and the ones listed here. So that's our country strategy. Again, we do business all around the world in multiple countries, but this is where we have boots on the ground and we're making a, a heavy proactive investment. And then amongst those countries, Japan, as many of you know, has been a very successful market for us. And we're thrilled about the opportunity for continued growth in Japan I'm going there uh, in, in a few weeks uh, to meet with customers and partners. But there's really three growth vectors for us still available to a great extent in Japan. And the first one is really untapped verticals. So we've been very successful in a few verticals, but even in those verticals where we've had a lot of success, like in architecture, engineering, construction, there's still a lot of TAM available for us. 
but then some of our largest verticals on a global basis, like financial services, are relatively untapped for us in Japan. So we have massive growth still available to us in a number of verticals. In our installed base, we still have great growth from a seat penetration standpoint. You can see in there in the middle, lots of opportunity for us to go from what are often BU deployments in, in large Japanese organizations to go wall-to-wall in those organizations. And that's the sorts of many of the big deals that we see coming out of Japan. And then in Japan, we still have a huge opportunity to upgrade many of our uh, customers in the installed base up to Enterprise Plus. So huge growth in verticals with new logos, huge growth in seed expansion in the installed base, and huge growth in terms of upgrading those customers. Taking a double-click on industry verticals, You've all looked at thousands and thousands of bubble charts, so you know the upper right is the good place to go. The bubble sizes are the revenue that we are realizing out of these different industries. So the ones on the upper right are the ones that have the highest TAM, and upper right means that we have the most expansion opportunity. So as I said before, life sciences, public sector, financial services, we do very well in those markets. We're doing extremely well in professional services over the last couple of years, a little bit of a catch-all business, but just think of law firms, accounting firms, any sort of a business that runs on a project or on an hourly basis. Those businesses, as you all know, are heavy on deliverables, heavy on documents and content that needs to be shared internally and externally, so a really good solution for that market. Steph mentioned a little bit on M&E, so that would be down on the lower left. doesn't mean it's bad. We like all these verticals. It doesn't have the same growth opportunity because it's such a concentrated industry, but we do extremely well in that industry because we're such a great platform for managing highly sensitive content, large file sizes, and especially over these last couple of years when all these creatives were sent home during the pandemic and they had to keep making TV shows and movies. If you watched the Oscars a couple of nights ago, many, many of the films um, that, you, that, were, that were part of that event were made on box during that creative process. The files were stored on our platform as people are collaborating on the files during the filmmaking process. So we do very well in those industries, so lots of room for growth. Double-clicking a little bit further, you know, public sector has been a very exciting market for us, uh, and I'm one of, the, one of the businesses that I'm most excited about for growth this year is here in the U.S. in our state and local business. We've been out of a lot of success in the court system, so think about sensitive content. When you're in the court system and evidential evidence data is moving back and forth between, for example, a police department and a county court system, that content, it could be body cam footage, it could be photographs, it could be depositions, that content needs to flow back and forth between the court system and the law enforcement agencies and retention policies are critical. It needs to move from from the police department over to the court system for a duration, and then it needs to go away. We're really an ideal platform for that. Uh, and we also have a key certification, which is called CEGIS compliance, which makes us uh, compliant in these use cases. So that's a repeatable use case that we're seeing across all 50 states, and we're seeing it pop up around the rest of the world as well. So Lots and lots of opportunity for us to grow in public sector. We do very well in retail and CPG, and I think I've made the point on M&E. From a segment standpoint, we sell to large enterprises, mid-sized organizations, and small businesses. And this is really critical for us for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's huge opportunities for growth across all those segments. But importantly, as a technology provider, 
it puts a tremendous amount of very valuable pressure on us to make a platform that meets the needs of the world's largest and most sophisticated organizations. So if we can deliver on the security and the integration and the governance requirements of the world's largest financial services institutions, government agencies, media and entertainment organizations, then we're probably going to meet the needs of the world's smallest companies like my dad's furniture store. But so we have to be able to deliver on those on, on the most complex of features to support those large enterprise clients, but we have to do it in a way that is easy to use so that SMBs can use it. And that's been a really critical part of our technology of our technology delivery model. It's also very important from a career pathing standpoint and from an AE productivity standpoint because we are able to hire account executives right out of college or in the early stages of their career and we're able to move them up this pyramid over their careers and so that when we get to our enterprise business we hire you know say half of those reps from the outside but half of them we we um, promote from internal and when we promote folks internally they're already trained up on box they already know everything about the content cloud they know how to do business inside and outside the company and the only learning for them as they move up segment it's just in the more complex selling motion, larger procurement organizations to deal with, more complex buying cycles with more departmental approvers on the deal. That's the only thing you have to learn. They already are sort of battle-tested on selling box. So that's been critical to our success. Our messaging, which has really evolved over the years, as I mentioned, as the platform has evolved, is resonating very strongly around the world in all segments and all geographies. And it's no surprise because in economic environments like right now, where some organizations maybe are pulling back on budgets, the bad actors are not pulling back on the security threats. So our security messaging is going extremely well in all markets. It works all day, every day. And in an environment today where we can help cut costs and complexity, that's a really key message. Um, the data point that Steph mentioned is from the Okta annual business at work study. And what Okta found just this last year is the average enterprise has 187 SaaS applications. The year prior, it was just 175. And make no mistake, that's the average number. So when I talk to extra large organizations and I share that number, they laugh and say, oh, we're way above that. They're up at 3, 4, 500. I've heard 650, 750. That's just way too many SaaS applications. So what we're seeing in the market is really a replay of what we saw in the client server era where the long tail of client server applications got out of control the big vendors came in for consolidation. So every CIO I talk to is, is thinking about how to cut cost and uh, how to cut cost and complexity out of their environment. And we're really an ideal platform to do so because we can become the content store for all of those 187 SaaS applications. And as I mentioned before, while you're doing it, you cut cost and complexity, you improve your security posture, and you delight your end users. So I mentioned earlier about that 80-20 mix of installed base versus new logos. It is critical for our future that we're always bringing on new logos. And we had a very successful year last year on the new logo front. It is harder to sell new logos because, uh, you know, by definition, every prospect out there is vended. It's not like they don't have a place for their content. So we have to find a way in. Very often it's security. Sometimes it's cutting costs. Sometimes it's uh, an external collaboration use case. But because it's harder, our sellers sometimes will, you know, take a run at a new logo and then they'll flip back to their installed accounts. So we put a program in place last year to have some very, very intense focus 
on a named list of about 3,000 of the world's largest customers, sort of lighthouse accounts that we set up as must-wins. And this program was phenomenally successful. We closed over 60 net new logos from, from this list. And as you, you, know, you understand this selling motion of ours of land, adopt, expand, these are the logos that are going to become our 200, 500, and million-dollar accounts in the future because we were able to bring them on the platform last year. And then once we bring those customers on the platform, we make them wildly successful, and we get them to grow and grow and grow. So in the two blue boxes there, you see the, the number of seats that we've sold, and then we have this great expansion opportunity in that installed base, which is the 7X opportunity, and then there's the rest of the world that's available to us, all those other accounts that are that 45X growth opportunity in those new logos. So we're rerunning that program again this year. It's going to be even more successful than it was in the prior year. And then our partner ecosystem is really critical to our success. So we have three types of partners. We have our ISV partners. You've heard today about the 1,500 pre-built integrations. And then I've kind of bucketed two partner types on the right, both resellers and SIs. And as the platform has continued to grow and become more complex and we're supporting more complex workflows, more complex use cases, that really creates more opportunity for that SI ecosystem to do work with us. Because to make no mistake, SIs, they don't like just doing implementation projects. The way that they do big SOWs is when there's major integration work to be done, and that's become a very exciting area for us. But really more importantly is when there's major business process change. So think about, for example, electronic signature. When we are reworking a full contract lifecycle that includes the way contracts sort of or, or, or quotes move through a quoting engine, go out to the customer, get signed, and come back, these are major workflows, and that creates great partnering opportunities for us with our SI ecosystem. To give you a few, a few examples of what those deals look like, we closed last year a large deal with a U.S. financial services organization along with our partner, IBM, and this was a big security use case, and it also includes retiring a lot of legacy file shares. In Europe, we closed a deal with a multinational logistics company, and this one is a really exciting trend that we're starting to see repeat itself over and over and over again. This is a customer that's been on SAP on-premise for over a decade, and they're migrating to SAP's new cloud offering, which, by the way, every SAP customer will do over time. Along with doing so, they had to retire their legacy ECM tool that was integrated with SAP. So they had an old ECM implementation that housed all the unstructured content and documents that were associated with their usage of SAP. So they had this choice to make. We have to move from SAP on-prem to SAP cloud, but we don't have to move this legacy ECM thing, if we're, if, but we have to move to the cloud. So we might as well migrate to a modern multi-tenant, born-in-the-cloud, pure cloud, content cloud. So that's what they did. We have a partner called Versafile. That is that integration piece between us and SAP. And we are now going to be the content store for this massive SAP implementation in the cloud. And we're seeing that one repeat over and over and over again. And then I think I covered the court system one in public sector. That's a super repeatable use case that we're going to be doing more and more of. So, we're continuing to invest in our sales force. We're going to be increasing our sales capacity so we can support pipe gen efforts. That's really critical for us in this environment. 
our salespeople in a current environment really need to be supercharged as pipeline generators. We need more pipeline entering months and quarters in this environment that we did in the prior environment. Uh, Enterprise Plus, I think we've covered quite nicely here today, but that's really been a big growth lever for us, and we're going to continue to bring new customers on on Enterprise Plus and to upgrade more and more of our customers in the installed base. And then we're going to continue our investment in enabling our salespeople so we can drive higher levels of productivity per head and so we can shorten ramp times of our new hires. So to wrap things up, so we're all about that land, adopt, expand, and retain motion. Uh, we'll continue to focus on expanding, expanding end users and use cases, dry, driving our customers up into the higher price plan tiers, and to improve retention. And with that, I will hand over to Dylan, who will talk about our financial strategy. Uh, so, um, as noted, uh, I'm Dylan Smith, Box's co-founder and chief financial officer. So far today, uh, you've heard how our content cloud is evolving to address our massive market opportunity and how we're delivering full value of Box's platform to our customers. Now. I'm going to walk through how this strategy drives our business model and our plans to significantly improve our financial profile in the coming years, resulting in a combined revenue growth plus free cash flow margin outcome of at least 45%. I'll begin with an overview of the results we've delivered this past year. Then I'll walk through how our product innovation and suites adoption is driving steady improvements in our underlying customer economics. After that, I'll explain why we're so confident in the foundation that we built to deliver durable revenue growth and continued margin expansion over a multi-year period. And then finally, I'll discuss how this profitable growth combined with our disciplined capital allocation strategy will allow us to deliver sustained shareholder value while steadily executing toward our long-term target model. This past year, amidst a very dynamic environment, uh, Box not only made significant progress in advancing our product and go-to-market capabilities, but we also delivered against the three key financial objectives that we laid out at the beginning of the year. Accelerating revenue growth in constant currency, expanding operating margin, and delivering shareholder value through our disciplined capital allocation strategy. So as a reminder, we experienced escalating currency headwinds throughout the course of last year, and we saw a gradual softening in the macroeconomic environment in the second half of the year. And despite those headwinds, we met or exceeded our initial expectations for the year on an as-reported basis with even stronger results in constant currency. So on the left, you can see the initial expectations that we laid out, and then on the right, uh, what we ultimately delivered, both on an as-reported basis and then in constant currency. So going from top to bottom, we achieved our FY23 revenue guidance while absorbing a four-point headwind from FX, which was three points higher than our initial expectations. While billings growth was slightly lower than our revenue growth, in constant currency, billings grew at a healthy 15% clip. 
we expanded operating margin by more than 300 basis points to 23%, which was ahead of our initial expectations. And that result was driven in large part by our outperformance in gross margin due to the cost efficiencies that we achieved while gearing up for our public cloud migration, which in turn drove our gross profit growth of 17%, a full four points ahead of our revenue growth. So this focus on profitability combined with a reduction in total shares outstanding enabled us to deliver an EPS outcome above the high end of our guidance, even on an as-reported basis, landing at $1.20, which was an increase of more than 40% year over year. So throughout the year, even as we experienced those escalating currency and macroeconomic headwinds, we remained committed to and ultimately delivered against our initial target of achieving revenue growth plus free cash flow margin of 37%. So in summary, FY23 strong results demonstrate the resiliency of our business model and our team's strong operating discipline. So moving beyond uh, the metrics that we guided to, uh, last year our remaining performance obligations, or RPO, uh, grew faster than revenue and billings, uh, as we had expected, landing at 16% growth year-over-year, or 21% in constant currency. Our strong RPO growth was uh, largely driven through backlog and long-term RPO growth of 24%, which was fueled by early renewals and longer customer contract durations. So importantly, our customers have been increasingly signing multi-year commitments with Box as we become a more strategic partner in powering their IT strategies. And while uh, this long-term RPO won't be recognized as revenue this year, it does provide us with better multi-year revenue visibility. Over the past two years, uh, we also expanded our free cash flow margin by a full eight points. And as a result, we've doubled the free cash flow uh, that we generated uh, last year over two years prior to that. And then as we deliver further margin expansion going forward, you can expect our free cash flow to continue growing at a rate well ahead of our revenue growth. We're squarely focused on managing equity dilution, and we reduced equity issuances this past year, in large part due to our workforce and location strategy. At the same time, our strong and increasing free cash flow generation enables a robust share repurchase program, which is a key component of our capital allocation strategy. And as a result of these two initiatives, we're able to reduce total shares outstanding by more than 3% this past year. And going forward, you can expect to see us continuing to gradually reduce total shares outstanding on an annual basis. Uh, putting it all together, as I mentioned earlier, our operating discipline allowed us to navigate uh, macroeconomic and currency headwinds and to deliver against our rule of commitment of 37% last year, which we had raised from 35% at the start of the year. And this demonstrates our ability to deliver profitable growth and marks our, the third consecutive year uh, that we met or exceeded our commitment to significantly improving our financial profile. So you've already heard a lot about how Suites has been embraced by our customers and how that's leading to higher value use cases. Now, I'm gonna dive into how our customer and revenue base have been evolving as a result. 
the value that we've been adding to our content cloud overall and suites adoption in particular have been critical drivers of the improvements that we've seen in our overall customer economics. We'll compare the economics of suites customers with non-suites customers in just a bit. Uh, and for now, we're going to look at the economics of our customer base as a whole. So going from left to right, uh, as of the end of this past year, uh, we now have roughly 1,650 customers paying us at least $100,000 annually, which is up 16% year over year. As Steph outlines, uh, we've seen an increase in price per seat of 18% since we launched suites, including 5% this past year. And while the current macroeconomic environment has been putting uh, pressure on our seat expansion rates, our pricing power has remained resilient and has continued to improve throughout the past year. And while the majority of that pricing improvement is attributable to suites adoption, we are also seeing some pricing improvement on a like-for-like -like basis. So after launching suites less than four years ago, suites customers now account for 46% of our total revenue, which is up 11 points year over year. And over the past couple of quarters, more than 90% of our 100K plus suites deal sales have been enterprise plus, which is our highest tier suites offering. Lastly, on the right, our full churn rate improved year over year to a best in class 3% annualized, where we expect it to remain throughout the year ahead. So now I'm going to revisit what our revenue base looks like today through the lens of what it means for our business model. 97% of our total revenue is recurring, and combined with our 3% annualized churn rate and longer contract durations, we have a highly predictable revenue model. As Mark mentioned, uh, international markets now represent a third of our total revenue, up five points over the past couple of years as we've driven strong growth uh, internationally, most notably in Japan. Our horizontal product allows Box to serve uh, customers across all industry verticals. One note is that Mark showed the top three industries in terms of where we're most focused and where we see the largest long-term opportunity, whereas this shows uh, where we have the greatest penetration today. And so those top three industries, uh, financial services, professional services, and life sciences and healthcare uh, add up to 39%. And we tend to see the strongest traction in uh, industries with the highest security and compliance requirements given our differentiation in those areas. So in, in, on top of being um, a very horizontal product, we also have very little customer concentration. So if you take financial services, for example, which is our largest vertical, no single customer represents more than about half a percent of our total revenue. Uh, and then outside the, the top three, uh, we're starting to see more momentum with government customers at both the federal and the state and local levels. And we see a huge opportunity here as both, as you heard from both Mark and Manoj. And then over the past year, the various segments of our business have grown at fairly similar rates. So the segment breakdown has remained fairly stable year on year with more than 60% uh, of our revenue coming from our enterprise customers. As we've continued to diversify our revenue base and generate stickier use cases, our business model is becoming more resilient to any headwinds uh, that impact specific geographies, industries, or segments. Uh, let's now shift to our large customer growth, which we segment into 100K plus, 
500K plus and million dollar plus customers in terms of annual contract value. So all three of these populations grew uh, in the double digit range uh, this past year and by more than 30% over the past two years, which demonstrates the power of our land, adopt, expand, retain business model at work. And healthy large customer growth is an important driver of our overall growth as this population of, of accounts and customers uh, now accounts for roughly two-thirds of our total revenue base, up from about 60% a couple of years ago. And importantly, the net retention rate of our 100K plus customers is several points higher than our sub-100K customers, even when you exclude the impact of the upsell that moved them uh, beyond that 100K threshold. In recent years, uh, we've seen an increasing contribution to this large customer growth coming from our commercial segment as enterprise plus and high value platform use cases are now more regularly driving six figure customer uh, contract values, even in our smaller customers. And according to our million dollar plus customers there on the right, a full two thirds of these customers have now adopted suites. And as yet another example of the power of our compounding model at work, more than 85% of these million-dollar-plus customers that we have today were initially paying less than a million dollars annually, and they continue to grow at a healthy clip as more than half of those million-dollar customers have, uh, exp have increased their annual spend with Box uh, just over the past year alone. And now we'll zoom back out to our overall customer base and look at our, our net retention. So as a reminder, our net retention rate has three components, seat growth, pricing changes, and churn. The latter two of those have remained fairly stable over the past year, although in the back half of last year, uh, our net retention rate uh, has been pressured by lower seat expansion due to the macroeconomic environment. But over time, uh, as uh, seat expansion rates recover, and as uh, we continue to drive higher suites penetration, we aim to improve our net retention rate from the 106% that we're expecting to deliver in this uh, year ahead. So we've uh, clearly talked about suites momentum quite a bit today, uh, as driving suites adoption has been a core company-wide focus for the past few years. And this slide demonstrates that these efforts are paying off. So our suites attach rate on 100K plus deals was 72% this past year, which fueled an 11 point improvement in our suites penetration uh, to 46%. A year ago, we said we expected to have the majority of our revenue coming from suites customers by the end of fiscal 25. And given the strong suites momentum that we've been driving, we now expect to achieve that milestone by the end of this year, a full year ahead of schedule. And I'll discuss the financial implications of uh, this suite's adoption in just a bit. So the customer momentum and customer economics improvements that I just discussed provide the foundation for us to deliver durable revenue growth and continued margin expansion in FY24 and beyond. Now, I'll walk through some of the key initiatives and financial outcomes that we're most focused on going forward in order to deliver against our long-term target model. I'll start uh, where we left off last section with Suites Momentum. 
So as mentioned, uh, we expect the majority of our revenue to come from suites by the end of this year, uh, and then two years later expect that contribution to be roughly 65% uh, driven by the steady adoption that you're seeing in the chart on the left. On the right, you can see why suites adoption is such a powerful driver of our financial model. Suites enables higher value, stickier use cases, resulting in significantly stronger customer economics. Note that this non-suites uh, population includes customers both on uh, our basic plan as well as customers who have adopted add-on products but haven't yet adopted one of our suites. So I'll now provide a little more color uh, into the trends that we're seeing uh, going from top to bottom. Uh, to start, our typical suites customer pays four times what our typical non-suites customer does, driven both by higher price per seat and by more seats. So we continue to see a roughly double, uh, a rough doubling in price per seat when comparing uh, suites customer pricing uh, to the pricing of our basic service. And as suites uh, enable more high value use cases, that leads to much broader deployments as well. Next, this higher pricing translates directly into higher gross margin for suites customers, roughly 10 points higher than for non-suites customers. While the majority of our future gross margin expansion will come from the impact of our public cloud strategy and more efficient service delivery, we also expect to see continued gross margin tailwinds coming from suites adoption. And while our suites customers aren't immune to seat expansion pressures uh, that we've seen in, in, the, in the current environment, they continue to generate stronger seat expansion rates and stronger retention rates resulting in a net retention rate that's seven points higher than our non-suites customers. I'd note that this analysis excludes customers who move into or out of suites uh, during this past year in order to provide a normalized comparison of our customer economics. And that difference in the relative customer economics of these customer types means that as we migrate more and more customers into suites, that mix shift will lead to an even stronger financial profile over time. And then as Aaron uh, and Steph mentioned, we also expect to introduce higher tier plans beyond Enterprise Plus in the future, which means that over time, even our suites customers will have an upsell path to get more value out of box. And here I'd emphasize that we remain committed to consistently improving our overall financial profile in the years ahead. As we've discussed, this year's rule of outcome uh, will be impacted by lower revenue growth expectations due to the challenging macroeconomic environment, in addition to, a, to currency-related uh, headwinds of roughly 400 basis points. But beyond FY24, uh, we expect to steadily improve our financial profile with an emphasis on margin expansion, resulting in generating a rule of outcome of 40 to 42% in FY25, 42 to 44% in FY26, and at least 45% longer term. And while we expect the majority of this improvement uh, to come from margin expansion, the product innovation, sales motion optimizations, and sales capacity that we put in place set the stage for us to reaccelerate growth from the levels that we expect this year as the macroeconomic environment begins to recover. Regardless of when that happens, we're committed to achieving this rule of trajectory. As we've noted, our free cash flow margin expansion will be a key driver of those rule of improvements over the next few years. 
So as we expand our free cash flow margin beyond the 24% that we delivered this past year, we expect to generate a free cash flow compounded annual growth rate of 20% over the next three years, and we're on track to deliver against the commitment we made last year uh, to generate a 25 to 30% free cash flow CAGR from FY22 to FY25. And you can expect our free cash flow margin and our operating non-GAAP operating margin to follow a similar trajectory in the coming years, with our free cash flow margin coming in slightly higher uh, due to working capital dynamics. And both of these key profitability measures will benefit from our public cloud migration as capital lease payments and data center expenses uh, wind down throughout the year. Uh, now I'll, I'll dive a bit deeper into operating margin, where we expect to expand uh, these margins by roughly 10 points uh, versus last year's result to deliver a long-term operating margin of 32 to 35%. And we think about this long-term horizon as three to five years out from our current fiscal year. We've created a strong foundation to deliver profitable growth, and we're committed to driving operating leverage across the business. So as you can see on the left, we expect to deliver nearly half of this operating margin improvement through gross margin expansion. Our public cloud strategy is a key driver of our confidence in this continued gross margin expansion, which I'll dive into in just a bit. And as we mentioned, we also expect continued suites momentum and product innovation overall to fuel further pricing improvements, which would be tailwinds to our gross margin profile. So turning to some of the other key initiatives that we'll be focused on in the coming years, uh, one of the big ones is around advancing our workforce uh, and location strategy. So over the past three years, the majority of our headcount growth has been in Poland, that's a site we launched two and a half years ago, and which now accounts for 10% of our total employees. Over the next three years, we expect to more than double the percentage of our employees who are in low-cost locations, and we'll be evaluating other locations over time to expand our available talent pools and to drive additional leverage. So the impact from our workforce and location strategy is most pronounced in our R&D teams and we're building out centers of excellence in Poland for several GNA functions as well. Uh, we've uh, really built uh, strong cost discipline into the fabric of how we run the company, and we'll continue to drive efficiencies across uh, other categories of spend. So that's everything from our external labor strategy to systems automation to optimizing our real estate footprint. And then on the go-to-market or sales and marketing efficiency side, there's a lot we're doing uh, in terms of really focusing uh, where we put our investment dollars. So we do expect to uh, improve our Salesforce productivity over time, both as a result of suites and that more efficient sale, as well as our approach to really targeting our investment dollars in the most productive segments of our business. We've also been seeing a higher ROI from our marketing programs, uh, especially uh, and in large part due to the investments that we made a few years ago in driving more efficient digital channels. And then finally, uh, we expect to see some natural business model leverage as we continue to scale our highly profitable renewal base. Uh, all five of these initiatives are well underway and already delivering bottom line improvements which is a big reason uh, that we're so confident that we'll be able to generate further leverage as we execute against our long-term operating margin target. 
So turning to gross margin expansion, um, first, as a reminder, uh, in the first half of this current fiscal year, we'll see duplicative expenses peak before winding down uh, the servers that we manage. So we expect to deliver a gross margin of roughly 78% in the back half of this year and then expand from there. So to highlight just a few of the benefits that we're already seeing from our public cloud strategy, which we expect to more fully realize starting next year, first, this strategy allows us to rapidly scale our infrastructure and deploy services wherever and whenever they're needed to match customer needs, and that minimizes unused server capacity. Running fully in the public cloud also simplifies our internal operations and allows us to shift our engineering and operations team's time away from managing servers and toward delivering more product innovation for our customers. We'll be able to do this with very compelling unit economics on par with or more efficiently than we would be able to do in managing our own infrastructure. And then finally, uh, this strategy enables us to tap into the billions of dollars of R&D investments that our partners have made in various content services and other capabilities. The current wave of AI innovation is just the most recent example of how we'll be able to seamlessly integrate and deliver a variety of new technologies to our customers as they emerge. And based on the efficiencies that we've been able to deliver over the past year, we now have even more conviction in the financial and operational benefits that this strategy will yield going forward. We feel confident that by steadily improving our financial profile, combined with our focus on prudent capital allocation, that we're well positioned to deliver sustained, long-term shareholder value. Ultimately, we think about our capital allocation strategy in terms of what will deliver the most value to our shareholders. This past year, our business generated roughly $240 million in free cash flow, which, as we mentioned previously, we expect to compound at a roughly 20% rate annually for the next three years. We plan to use this strong balance sheet and increasing free cash flow generation in part to accelerate our product roadmap via a disciplined and targeted M&A. So Box Sign, as we had noted, is a great example of this, which allowed us to deliver that innovation to customers in just six months. And we view M&A as an important lever for us to rapidly advance uh, some key and especially some of our emerging product areas uh, around things like workflow, content analytics, and AI. Uh, from a balance sheet point of view, we ended this past year with $460 million in cash and short-term investments, and we had roughly $140 million of remaining buyback capacity under our prior authorization. So in the year ahead, you can expect us to use the majority of our free cash flow generation to execute a robust share repurchase program. And combined with the focus on equity dilution that I mentioned earlier, we have a clear path to consistently reduce total shares outstanding over time. And then finally, while stock-based compensation is a four-year lagging indicator of our equity practices, we're committed to reducing our stock-based compensation as a percentage of revenue uh, in the coming years as well. So putting it all together, uh, executing against the content cloud strategy that we've outlined today sets the stage for us to deliver durable revenue growth and significant operating margin expansion over a multi-year period. I'll now walk through our long-term target model from top to bottom. So starting with uh, revenue growth plus free cash flow margin, 
As mentioned, we expect to deliver a combined result of at least 45% three to five years from now. As we outlined earlier, those rule of improvements should be fairly consistent in the coming years in constant currency. On the top line, the strong momentum we're seeing in our underlying growth drivers and customer economics will enable us to deliver a steady state double digit growth rate in the 10 to 15% range. We will remain laser focused on delivering profitable growth. As outlined previously, we expect to deliver leverage across all line items of the P&L, and most notably, we expect overall gross margin to be in the 80 to 82% range with subscription gross margin two to three points higher. Uh, would note, uh, you can expect that our sales and marketing expenses as a percentage of revenue uh, will be correlated with our revenue growth. So if we're growing at the higher end of our revenue growth range that we've outlined here, you can expect sales and marketing spends to likely be at the higher end as well, and vice versa. And then finally, on the bottom line, uh, we expect our long-term operating margin to be in the 32 to 35% range. Box is well-positioned to capture a growing portion of this massive market opportunity in front of us, and as we execute against this opportunity, we're committed to driving meaningful improvements in our financial profile from top to bottom. So to recap what you heard from me today, last year we demonstrated the resiliency of our business model as we delivered strong financial results despite a challenging macroeconomic environment. Our overall customer economics have been steadily improving as we move more and more customers to higher value, stickier use cases through suites adoption. As those customer economics continue to improve and as we continue to build out the capabilities of our content cloud, we're in a strong position to deliver durable revenue growth and significant margin expansion over a multi-year period. And as our financial profile continues to improve while we execute a disciplined capital allocation strategy, we have a clear framework to deliver sustained shareholder value. And with that, I will turn it back to Aaron for closing commentary before we open it up for questions. Awesome. Thanks, Dylan. Um, we're going to get uh, the Q&A set up, so yeah, come on up. And I uh, just want to say I really appreciate the time this afternoon thus far. We've walked through uh, our long-term strategy and model, and we'd love to open up for, uh, for questions from anyone. Come on up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's getting water. Hello. Yeah. So we'll take our first couple questions here from our live audience. As a reminder, for those on the webcast, please email at ir at box.com. Thank you. If you could say your name and firm as well, please. Great. Thanks for the question. Josh Bear from Morgan Stanley, and thanks for the presentation. Uh, just wondering in the context of your long-term growth and margin targets, how we should think about uh, AI embedded in, in your future outlook? Sure. Um, 
Yeah, so it's uh, it's certainly, um, you know, I think the, the long-term strategy embeds a, a tremendous amount of innovation in general um, that will be driving, um, you know, you saw a little bit of a preview of that from Diego's presentation. That's, that's you know, frankly, a 12 to 18-month look at the product roadmap. Uh, we obviously have a bunch of internal um, you know, planning that goes that goes farther than that, but um, uh, but I would say AI really gets embedded into many of the capabilities within the product. Uh, so when we talk about things like um, you know uh, data publishing, uh, the use case there that Diego was mentioning is the ability to collect content from a variety um, of places within your Box account and then be able to make that available to teams and departments throughout your your organization. So imagine a sales portal where you have assets that that have been collected from anywhere and then they get published out to a team or a marketing portal or an HR portal. Well, AI would be something that would be embedded in that capability that would serve up the exact right content that somebody was looking for, maybe an answer to a question based on the data within it. Uh, that just really makes the, those types of publishing features more powerful. So you can kind of go product by product and get examples of how we intend to use AI to be really embedded within the product. And then, you know, I think because of the consumption na nature of the underlying AI models, uh, we're still working through the best ways to commercialize uh, the actual kind of unit volume dynamic of, uh, of the AI consumption. Uh, so that's something that, that we're, we're still working through, but we would um, we would expect to make sure that it is either you know kind of within the gross margin expectations that we've laid out, uh, or even more uh, additive if we charge additional uh, you know um, uh, have additional pricing tiers for that functionality. I guess also just wondering like is AI is a contribution from AI within your long-term targets? It's, it's so hard to kind of like specify AI-specific impact. So I would say we look at our overall roadmap and the TAM that we're going after, and again, AI really becomes a, a differentiated capability embedded into the categories that we're going after. So it helps us serve you know, secure use cases. It helps us serve content publishing use cases. It helps us differentiate against legacy ECM vendors. It's not something that we necessarily think about as as we, we can make X amount of money because of AI directly. Um, we, that still might, we still might end up charging for some components of it, uh, but the way we would we really kind of think about that is is still embedded within the existing product areas that we're going after. And just to build on that, so you could think about us as introducing a higher tier plan, certainly within the time frame contemplated uh, in our longer term model, but there's nothing explicitly dedicated uh, in terms of the assumptions we're making around AI revenue that we're generating. So similarly, we would say the same thing for, for most of our products that we don't monetize separately, uh, where it's all baked into the suites and pricing impacts that we expect to see over time. That's helpful. Thank you. Uh, great. Great. Steve Enders from, uh, from City. Appreciate you, uh, you all taking the questions here. Um, I, I guess I just want to start on again, how to think about the, the revenue outlook, and in particular, you know, 10 to 15% growth. Um, yeah, as we think about kind of the, the go-to-market opportunity there, how do we think about, you know, kind of the expansion opportunity? How do we think about geographic opportunities to kind of build out that, uh, that cadence and uh, overall just kind of any other, you know, productivity or, or rep assumptions that you're assuming in there? Yes, well, I, I can start there, is uh, I would say, again, steady state, uh, we would expect to see that more historically normal kind of 50-50 contribution uh, to, our, to our growth between seats uh, and pricing. Uh, and while we do expect uh, international uh, contribution to our total revenue, 
uh, to, to gradually improve over time, would say that based on the market opportunity that we have available, you know, that's certainly an area of upside as we don't want to bake in, uh, you know, kind of a, a strong uh, performance from areas that are just showing green shoots today. Um, so, you know, call it kind of business as usual uh, in terms of what's baked in there. Uh, and then in terms of Salesforce productivity, uh, as mentioned, we do expect to drive uh, incremental improvements in Salesforce productivity uh, over time, particularly uh, once we're in a, a more normalized uh, macroeconomic environment. Okay, that's, uh, th- that's helpful. And then maybe going back to, you know, the AI category and talking about that a little bit more, I guess, how do you think about, like, what gives Box the right to win within uh, within the you know, categories you're going after for AI and how you're embedding those use cases uh, for customers. Yeah, maybe I'll provide just a high level and then Diego, if you want to go on it. But, um, you know, I think when we when we look at AI, again, we kind of see really the kind of two big components that we think are very strategically aligned to our situation. So one, um, uh, AI thrives on data, and um, it's only useful uh, if it has lots of data to work off of. You know, I think the, the sort of what we're seeing today with a lot of the innovation is this idea of you take a prompt, you know, maybe a one-sentence you know, question, you give it to the large language model, and it spits something out. That's largely undifferentiated because the, the prompt coming in is really just from the end user. So that could come from a chat interface or a search engine or whatnot. The real differentiation is when the prompt itself is existing data that an enterprise has. And again, that data is inside box. So we think we're starting out from a really strong position of strength because of how much data is inside of our platform. Uh, so that, that means you can already prompt the AI models with an existing proprietary asset that otherwise would be very hard for that model to have access to. And the second big strategic advantage is the fact that we're platform neutral. So we've got great relationships with basically every single major AI provider, um, whether that's the hyperscalers or the new startups that are emerging. And uh, we always take a platform neutral approach to our innovation so we can plug into the AI models wherever they come from. And so we think that gives us a very, very strong differentiating um, set of characteristics for our approach to AI. And then when you kind of layer in then the product value pre- proposition, that's where it gets extremely exciting. So dig it on if you want to just you know, double under. under. Yeah, you, there's one, one particular point. It's not only about being uh, able to work with everybody, but the specialization that we expect to see in the market from the providers of technology in this case is going to make some platform be better for search-oriented AI, another platform better for another application of AI. And we don't have to use only one provider. We can work with all of them which these individual providers of technology cannot do that because they're married to themselves, basically. In, in, Google would do Google, AWS would do AWS, Microsoft would do Microsoft. We can do all of them. And also the independent ones that I was referring to. And on the third point that I made, maybe a quick addition, because our platform keeps expanding use cases, perhaps even more rapidly than others, by applying AI to a faster-growing platform, we will provide value faster than others as well. These are three major competitive advantages, plus the first one that I mentioned also. So. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll quickly take one question um, from our webcast, and this is from um, Pendulum Bora of J.P. Morgan. Um, Stephanie touched on the possibility of introducing new higher price plans. Help us understand how such pricing and packaging encompasses. Go through the full price and packaging philosophy, and then when we would maybe introduce another plan. Okay. Hopefully that hits the question. Sure. And we really do look at sort of three primary vectors, uh, uh, and we have a pricing and packaging team that looks at this very closely. One, um, the product innovation, so whether or not there's enough differentiation and value realised where we know that the customers are saying, we really want this and we think that it will realise 
more value for them much more quickly if we integrate it as part of the package because what we're trying to do is ensure they leverage the entire platform and so we look very closely at innovation so that's a lot of the work that Diego and the team are leading. Um, we then look at whether or not um, we've capped out at all and as you saw from Mark's slides we've still got tremendous upside and opportunity um, to take many of our install based customers to Enterprise Plus and that's something that we work on day in day out across all of our geographies. Um, whenever that time comes when we think there's an opportunity for us to again upgrade to the next plan, uh, we look at that very closely, and then the third element is really just customer demand. And we did we, we did see this obviously with Sign. Um, there was a, a real desire with a number of the products that we added um, into the new plan uh, that customers wanted to realise value very very quickly. They were prepared to pay for it. It was a differentiator for them. It was going to allow them to save money elsewhere. And so we look very much and take customer feedback into consideration through our advisory boards and a number of other avenues. Yeah, and just on the, the first component that Steph said around differentiation, I think I, I, you know, I, uh, I would point to as we go deeper in areas like workflow, that starts to fragment out into kind of subcategories that we'll be able to innovate on. Uh, Minoja's, um, you know, sort of high-level you know, view of, uh, of where we're taking security, <coughs> compliance, data governance. There's sub-markets within there that have some very advanced features that we're excited about. So as we continue to go you know, deep in our three core pillars, you'll see areas where we can either take an existing feature set and add um, you know, sort of additional value in an existing product that we think makes sense to charge for, or there'll be net new product categories that we'll expand into that will sort of drive the creation of future plans. Eric Super here with uh, JMP. Uh, a few things. First off, uh, just on the stock comp uh, I'm curious if there's a target uh, percentage that you would expect that to come down to as a, as a percentage of revenue. And then on the AI, can you just clarify what what aspect of that is is organic? Are you are you using the algorithms from the hyperscalers, and then then your value is that it's it's retained within your your cloud, or how much of the the software there is actually developed by Box? And and what do you do if 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 content is is on-premise that the customer is, is that still something that you can you can apply your AI to? Stock-based comp question. We, we don't have a specific uh, you know, number out there uh, for the longer-term target, largely because there's some components that drive uh, stock-based compensation that we don't directly control. So really our philosophy and, and approach is uh, we are laser-focused on managing uh, both uh, equity dilution, uh, so that's what we you know, discuss uh, and really focus on and are held accountable to uh, by ourselves, our board, our compensation committee, uh, and uh, as we've talked about and as you've seen, uh, also very focused on returning capital to the shareholders through our share repurchase program. So that's really you know, the thing that we're most near-term focused on, certainly the natural result of those two things, or I guess in particular the equity uh, dilution uh, issuances uh, combined with uh, everything we're doing to scale and build out the company in, in uh, lower-cost locations is what gives us the confidence that we're able to bring that down uh, consistently over time. It's just harder uh, uh, for, to put a specific number on that uh, because of some of the other factors that go into it. And um, on the AI front, um, uh, the, the way to think about it is there's sort of model developers. Um, sometimes there's new startups, sometimes larger startups like OpenAI. Um, oftentimes those models are running within the hyperscalers themselves. So, you know, everybody is, is familiar with the Microsoft OpenAI partnership. 
as well as um, the development of models from the hyperscales themselves. You've seen that today with, uh, with Google's announcements. Um, uh, basically, they all produce APIs where, you, you, uh, where you're able to kind of interact with those models via um, you know, typical kind of cloud service APIs. We, are bu- we build an abstraction layer um, that connects up to those various APIs. Um, and then the power of our platform is that we have security, governance, lifecycle management, data permissions uh, that then can hook into that, that abstraction layer. So um, the really, really hard software that you have to build or work with as an enterprise is actually how do you manage the data? How do you orchestrate the flow of that information? How do you make sure it gets sent back and forth um, you know, to an AI provider? How do you enable the exact right permission level of who has access to what? So that's all the value um, that, that has to get built out, and that's what our content cloud delivers. And then plugging into the AI models themselves is, is that abstraction layer um, where, uh, where we will also add a tremendous amount of value. Um, uh, in terms of the on-premises environments, well, we won't plug into to a customer's on-premises environment other than to migrate the data that they might have in a, in a legacy network file share and then move that into box so they can get, take, take advantage of this AI. Um, but I'd actually say um, uh, AI becomes another catalyst where customers are going to have to really rethink that on-prem model of data management. And if you go back just one more small kind of academic point uh, on this topic, if you kind of go back to that fragmented ecosystem of data, you imagine a customer has network file shares or an on-prem document management system as well as cloud tools that maybe are fragmented. That's an architecture that is nearly impossible to effectively um, bring AI to uh, because the data would be so distributed across too many different systems, all with likely competing permission models. So you'd never be able to have an AI model that would train against all that because you'd be, um, you'd, be dual, you'd be having data leakage in your AI model at all times. And so that would become a huge privacy issue for any enterprise um, if, they were, uh, if they were sort of working off of this fr- fragmented uh, set of content tools. So we think that's another reason why companies will move their data into Box um, and ultimately leverage a, a modern content cloud for, uh, for that use case. Hi. Uh, thank you for this. A lot of good content here. Uh, Tom Blakey from KeyBank. Um, the first question is for Dylan. Uh, just you mentioned confidence in the, the increasing those longer-term targets, looking out to 45% rule of um, in the long-term target. But you also mentioned, I think, like uh, you, the confidence was based on maybe different growth uh, outlooks. Could you maybe talk to us about like any type of stress testing you could do? How, how low could growth go type of thing uh, relative to hitting those targets? My first question. Yeah, so I would say, uh, you know, certainly uh, very confident in delivering against that combined outcome. Um, and, you know, that's why we gave uh, the range in terms of the revenue growth expectations. would say that we, we look at the levers in the model and especially where we'd be allocating, you know, a lot of the dollars going forward. We do uh, have the ability and would certainly, you know, deliver against the commitments uh, if, for example, our revenue growth fell outside of that range. But at the same time, especially if you're looking at, you know, three to five years out, steady state basis, factoring all the different tailwinds uh, that we're seeing in the business uh, and the longer-term opportunity, um, we feel confident uh, in the top-line drivers as well, in the top-line outcomes as well. That's helpful, Dylan. Thank you. And my second question is just on security, maybe Minaj or Aaron. Just seems like there's a huge opportunity here uh, sitting on top of content and data, which every security company on the planet is trying to protect. You're, you're right in front of that. Just maybe... Talk about it. I know you sell a suite product, so it's hard to, you know, we heard from Warner, and they're not using a lot of products that they have access to. What kind of penetration rate are you seeing right now of security? And if you could even maybe, Minaj, who are you initially consolidating spend around in security? That would be helpful. Thank you. 
Yeah, maybe I'll characterize the customer base and then uh, have Manoj talk about some of the, the roadmap and strategies. So um, security is definitely one of our most adopted capabilities, both within the suite and the, the product portfolio in general. And, uh, you know, when we survey customers of the number one reason why they purchase Box, um, and, of, of course, you know, it's sort of the combination of our capabilities, you know, lead to a deal, but the probably single biggest driver is that security differentiation. So, you know, every com- customer is on a different point in the journey. You heard from Warner today, um, starting to add things like advanced data classification capabilities. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, kind of everyone is in that continuum of, of, you know, whether it's threat detection or ransomware detection or data classification, uh, we're, we're driving, you know, greater adoption of all those features. Um, and I think what we're most excited about is just, frankly, the surface area of what uh, is still left to go impact uh, from a security standpoint. I think for far too long, the security vendor ecosystem has been sort of somewhat divorced from the, the application ecosystem. And in a lot of application categories, that's fine. Um, but for something like content, where fundamentally content moves around, it gets accessed by different people, um, you really don't have the, the ability to sort of separate security from the content provider to, if you truly want to have a, 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 a you know, a, a real robust way of protecting your content. And that's what we get excited about in this space. So, Manoj, I don't know if you want to kind of touch on some of that, where, where that goes next. So, that's perfect. Yeah, I think, as I mentioned, our sort of philosophy around security is, you know, bolt on security onto the content. That's really where our focus is. And uh, when you think about sort of the security ecosystem, a lot of the vendors are focused on a bunch of other steps of the kill chain, security kill chain, so to speak, right? But we squarely focus on the, on, on the content front. And as long as, as sort of, you know, the content continues to grow, sort of our, our opportunity to sort of deliver outcomes around content continue to grow, right? And from the spend point of view, our, you know, we, we, we will look to gain more and more share of the security spend, per se, and that's... As, as we all know, that's one of the areas which actually continues to grow even, even in today's environment. Great. I'm going to take another question from an investor, and that is regarding Salesforce headcount um, additions. You talked about meeting your goal of the 15% in fiscal 23. When do you expect those folks to be fully productive? And then the more metered 5% projection for 24, how should we think about your capacity when the demand trends more no- normalize? Mark uh, talk through the, the approach uh, and, and things like that. Uh, so we expect that 15% uh, growth in the sales force uh, to become uh, fully ramped throughout the course of this year. Uh, as a reminder, we tend to see uh, reps become fully productive and, and ramped uh, in roughly six months uh, in our commercial business, or like nine to 12 months uh, in our enterprise uh, uh, segment. Uh, and um, I would say that uh, so it does have a lagging impact in terms of when that capacity is, is fully ramped by roughly a year or so. Uh, and then at the same time, I would also add that steady state, uh, we do expect uh, our, our sales force uh, growth to be slightly lower uh, than our overall revenue growth. Uh, as it, It's going to be pretty closely correlated, we would expect. But as mentioned, we do expect to be able to, to drive some incremental improvements in our sales force productivity over time. And then, Mark, maybe you want to just give some of the other dynamics that we're seeing in the sales force. Yeah. Um, I think the other piece of color is, you know, entering this fiscal year, we have, uh, we have likely the, the healthiest uh, number of ramped heads that we've ever had at the start of fiscal year. It's a combination of good hiring last year and then all those reps starting to come off of ramp. But then, importantly, much less attrition in the sales force than we've seen before for the obvious reason that software companies aren't hiring like they were before, so it's not as competitive of an environment. 
and we're a great place for world-class sellers to work, and so we're having much better retention numbers. So the combination of strong hiring last year plus strong retention is giving us, I think, the firepower that we need for for the years ahead, and I feel very good about our AE headcount numbers right now. Hi, uh, this is uh, Richard Poland from RBC. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, so during the customer conversation earlier, uh, I believe the customer mentioned that he had access to VoxSign, but he wasn't necessarily using it just yet, and he was using a third-party solution. Uh, so in the enterprise, what are some of the key features that you still need to add there, if there are any, uh, just to kind of unlock more of that consolidate, consolidation opportunity on the side? Sure. Yeah, maybe I'll hit on just the customer journey, and then Diego, if you want to talk about some of the science-specific roadmap. Um, as you can imagine, you know, every customer is at a different, you know, point in, in that journey, and um, uh, and you know that, you know, lots of different permutations of somebody using, you know, Shield more, somebody using Sign more, somebody using Relay more, um, and we think that's actually the the you know great value add of the suite approach is if you think about it. Previously, our sales reps then had to go and sell each one of those uh, capabilities in a different way because each customer might be somewhere at a different point in that journey. So that's very inefficient. Um, so the current model allows customers to sort of buy into the platform and then adopt as they, uh, as they see those use cases emerge. So, um, so we think that that conversation is representative, but a different customer might, again, be somewhere different on that continuum of adoption of a, uh, of a specific set of features. Uh, yeah, go for it. Plays to our seed expansion and our price per seed story because, in this instance, Warner, um, uh, their primary use case, if you think of the use cases where you start with the land ones, were around security and external collaboration. They are very big user, box governance and box shield. They, uh, the planning required with these enterprises, as, as you work through the use cases, requires time on their side and some people as well. We've been working on a relay use case, ready to go now, which is awesome. Um, able to run two in parallel, so they're doing their shield deployment with the support of ourselves and a partner and Relay. So there'll be sort of three going. They are starting to think about, with Sign, we've started to have a conversation about some options, different lines of business. And so all of a sudden, um, this place of the stickiness story, which we love so much, you get the suites allow us to identify this breadth of use cases. You work your way across the organisation. Um, you get more users on board. You go all in. Uh, and then you go deeper with each of the cases. So it's sort of this, it is a journey. And Mark and I talk about it all the time. Even the three slides that I showed up front with those customers, they actually required a period of time to deploy on each of these features, let's say. Sometimes you can do it in parallel, depending on the organisation and the, what, what they're able to do from a bandwidth perspective. And then sometimes we plan for it. Like there's literally key milestones that say we're going to start with security, we're then going to go to a sign interface immediately. In parallel, we may do... So um, in the case of John, he was doing very quickly was able to do his ServiceNow integration and he said to me, we're going to do Teams, we're ready to go. That's a different group of folks in his organisation. And so what you're trying to do is work across the organisation to determine how quickly they can actually take advantage of things and then seamlessly integrate. Mark, would you add anything else? Well, I, I think that, um, that so the question is about what features do we have to build and Diego can comment on that. Um, the, the bigger, oftentimes the bigger friction point or that the existing e-sign vendor is really deeply ingrained into a number of workflows, and sometimes organizations just don't have the bandwidth to make the shift, and they're just like, oh, we'll do it later. But what they do want to do is they don't want to pay per envelope or per, per, per signature charges for 
an, an enormous number of e-sign use cases that they've been unwilling to put on with their existing e-sign vendors. So think of employee onboarding and offboarding type of use cases and all the things that are that many of us in our workplaces are not putting on e-sign yet. The reason why is they don't want to pay for it. So even in an enterprise where there is an incumbent e-sign vendor, we're having a lot of success lighting up that long tail of new e-sign use cases. And then we become an e-sign vendor in that environment. It's just a matter of time before we topple it. So that, that's a, a very common motion that we're seeing. Got it. Thank you. That's very helpful. Um, then just kind of a follow-up. Um, on the potential for further suites adoption in the Japan business. Uh, Japan does tend to have some unique buying behaviors, and I, I know the adoption of the core and shield has, has been doing pretty well there. Um, but just kind of what, what steps are you taking to drive the adoption some of the rest of the portfolio on, on just kind of the suite side or maybe just the add-on side in general? Yeah, um, so the, the journey uh, and, and the reason for the uniqueness in Japan is, um, you know, it's such a st- strong partner environment, um, so, so a lot of, a lot of the work that we do is through partners, but with a direct team as well um, in conjunction with that. So there can be a little bit of a, a ramp lag with a new go-to-market motion, and that's, that's ultimately, I think, what we had seen previously in Japan. Um, but with the, the bolstered product roadmap and um, the increased focus of suites just across the global sales force, uh, I think that's led to a, a pretty meaningful change, and you saw that in the chart. But, Steph, if you want to talk about any we're doing with our, our Japan channel Yeah, uh, partners. We, we enable the entire partner community. We have over 400 partners. We have probably the most sizable partner community bar one in the whole country and um, it was a pretty extensive effort uh, and they are all on board which is why you saw the growth numbers last year pretty remarkably so. Um, and so a lot of it was just, was just bringing them up to speed from an awareness and education perspective. Um, the Japanese model is once they're all on board, they go, and we love that about them. It's a bit of a machine. Um, so we just continue to focus on that. Um, Aaron and Terry visit, and we try and get there as often as we can to provide more support. They have a really, really good team on the ground. They've built a, um, a very sort of, a sort of high-resource, very skilled organisation that works with the partners. Uh, so I think we're just going to continue to see great growth. Mark, would you add anything? No, I think you covered it. Thank you. Great. We have time for one more question from the audience. George Iwanek with Oppenheimer. Uh, thanks for squeezing me in here. Uh, Mark, maybe just digging in with the current unsettled environment, can you give us a sense of the, the tone of co- customer conversations right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, to my earlier comments, I think that the, the message around improving your security posture, cutting costs and complexity, and delighting your end users is playing very, very well. Um, it certainly is a different environment than it was in the first half of last year. Um, so around the summertime, you start to see a little more scrutiny on some deals where budget, where there's a little more budget scrutiny. And so I think just simply put, as we enter months and quarters, we need more pipeline in this environment than we did before. The message very much resonates, and it resonates in all segments, in all geographies, all around the world. Um, but some deals just get a little more scrutiny, so we need more deals going into a month and into a quarter than we did before to make up for that. Um, because, uh, yeah, and that, that's really the way I would state it. I hope it answers the question. But it, it's certainly um, a tighter budget environment than we saw before, but one where I think our message really stands out. All right. And Aaron, maybe double-clicking on the M&A commentary, you know, is this something that should we still look at this as tuck-ins or would you consider maybe something bigger, especially with, you know, the opportunity with AI? 
Yeah, um, I, I would say we're still very focused in uh, kind of the, the typical pattern that you've seen, um, uh, you, know, w w you know, depending on the size that you kind of have a threshold at, you know, we kind of consider it more tuck-in oriented, um, you know, very strong team, um, you know, clear technology fit, uh, and something that, that is very capital efficient. Um, so that's our, our you know, historical approach uh, for M&A. I think that will continue to be the case. AI actually probably doesn't really change that because so many um, so many of the products in the market are actually, like if you build something in AI you know, before even two years ago, it's probably not leveraging uh, a lot of the, uh, the latest breakthroughs in AI. So, um, so we, we don't think that kind of changes the, the size or, or makeup of deals. Um, and, uh, and, but we're really, really judicious on the kinds of things that we, we bring on because the sanctity of the platform is so important. Um, and so, you know, we are more attracted to products and technology that we can fit into the platform very quickly and then make it available to our customers. And so right now, you know, for instance, a lot of the AI effort is actually organic um, in-house, as an example. Thank you. Well, appreciate uh, all the all the great questions. Uh, we're obviously, you know, here, um, uh, you know, for for more questions for anybody that reaches out, and really appreciate the time today and walking through our long-term model. We're obviously incredibly passionate and excited about the opportunity ahead. Um, so, looking forward to spending more time with you all. Great.